What's up, everything? Everyone's back. I'm back from Traverse City. The Blues are back in camp. Vladimir Tarasenko is back with the team. Robert Thomas is back from the unemployment line. And for some godforsaken reason, Ken Hitchcock is back from the dead. This is our Prospect Pyramid episode, and we can't wait. But there's so much more to talk about, so let's get started and let's build that pyramid. like to be the rainmaker I wonder what it's like to know that I made the rain I'd store it in boxes with little yellow tags on everyone And you could come and see that when I'm done Welcome back, everyone. Welcome to the Two Guys One Cup podcast. It is Thursday, September 23rd. We are currently in a dark and terrifying dungeon beneath the Centene Community Ice Center, and uh, Zach Samford will not let us out until we answer his three questions. <laughs> Does anyone know the capital of Cambodia? It's not Sean Penn, apparently, um, but that was my only guess, so it's Phnom Penn. This was a Friends uh, reference that Ian wasn't getting. No, no. <laughs> I would have called it Phnom, Phnom Penn. Well... For the Friends fans out there, uh, which I thought Ian was, um, you know, you got that reference. But anyway, Ian, uh, it's been almost two weeks since we last we saw each other. Maybe two whole weeks. No, because we did like a Friday or Saturday or something weird last yeah. time. But we're it's back. Almost, we're united. A lot has happened. How are you doing, first and foremost? Good. Do you Good. live where you lived last time? Yeah, you'd finish moving by the time. Just barely. Yeah, yeah. everything's put away. Do you now. care to tell the people where you live now? Or okay, I'm sure it's been mentioned. <laughs> you can dig through it. Me and Stephen will talk about that after the podcast because <laughs> I'm withholding. It's, um, he lives in Huntley now with the uh, the Bush family is on the property right next door. I so. live in Union, Missouri. <laughs> Pretty close. There we go. Pretty close. <sighs> I have been to Michigan and back since last we left. We will how long, talk. How long's that drive? It's about nine hours. So because you're at like the tippy top. It's like ten hours. The tippy top of Michigan. Ten hours to get there, but eight hours to get back. Because somehow it feels like I'm going due north, mm. but somehow I end up in the eastern time zone. But it's weird because I definitely don't feel like I travel as far east as I have to travel to get into the eastern time zone if I'm traveling east to like Nashville or wherever. Oh yeah, it's a squiggly line. Yeah, it's, it's a so squiggly weird. line. But it is the eastern time zone. Um, so Detroit was right. They should be in the eastern conference. Yeah. Uh-huh. Lame. Bastard. It is a, a great trip and we'll talk about that more in a little bit, but... First, we have to talk about. I should not have taken a bite of this cookie, because I'm I'm preparing to rage. I'll take over. Thank you, thank you. I almost called you Jack. Thank you, Ian. Oh I'm no, not, I'm not actually I was, taking over. I was going to joke and see how long we could sit right. silent. All right, all right. Shoot your cookie. 
We're done. All right. <laughs> that was a dry swallow. Yep. Oh, sure was. Oh. It wasn't pleasant. <laughs> 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 this episode, folks, brought to you by Nestle Toll House's Dry Swallows. <laughs> you know, I dry swallowed the other day. I dry, swa- I dry swallowed Slim Chickens, which is a new place that's not actually new. I mean, it's new here, but it's an existing chain uh-huh. of chicken places that opened in off of Hampton. I guess they opened yeah. in like Troy or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was talking to my fiance and I was like, how would you describe Slim Chickens? And she, and she said, had it before? No. Oh, okay. This is after we ate it like last week. And she said, I would describe it as edible. <laughs> <laughs> and then she kept describing it as very, she's like, it's kind of plain, you know, but it's not bad. It's, you know, it's not remarkable. It's not as good as Cane's or Chick-fil-A um, or even Popeye's. But it, it's not bad. And, you know, like the sauces weren't that great. But, you know, it's not bad. And I was like, the more you talk about how mediocre this place was, the more it sounds like you are saying it's bad. <laughs> and uh, I would give them a second chance because I went there and it was super busy because it had just opened. Um, it's like it's like a worse version of Cane's. More options, but not as good. That's disappointing because Cane's, while I love it, should not be hard to, <laughs> should not be hard to surpass. <laughs> um, you had Zaxby's? Mm-hmm. I forget. No, no, no. So Zaxby's is like Cane's with more options, but I slightly prefer it. Oh, really? I don't know. The the Cane's sauce is better than Zaxby's sauce to me by a a wide margin. But usually Zaxby's chicken, you know how like at Cane's the chicken is sometimes just like a fingernail, (laughs) you know? (laughs) I never get that with Zaxby's much. I don't know. It's it's different. They're both good. But uh, sometimes we sometimes we should drive out to Columbia just to get Zaxby's because there's one there for some reason. Weird. We can do it on our way to Acadia, <laughs> which is the opposite direction. <laughs> but who cares? All right, we put out. We've had too much fun, and it's time for me to, to the be pain. It's angry. Time for the pain. This will be an almost entirely blues focused episode, but I felt like we would be remiss uh, to not talk about. Uh, Jack Eichel news. Jack Eichel reported to Sabres camp this morning. I guess he reported yesterday and failed his physical. Surprise, surprise. It's almost like there's something wrong with his neck. And uh, it was announced this morning that he would be removed from the captaincy of the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, Keith Wine Adams with the statement. I spoke to Jack two days ago. I spoke to the team yesterday and addressed this. Jack Eichel is no longer the captain captain of the Buffalo mm-hmm. Sabres. From our perspective, the captain is your heartbeat of your team, and we are in a situation where we felt we needed to make that decision. <laughs> now, I've seen some takes that are like, well, you couldn't think he was still going to be the captain, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, I couldn't have thought he would still be in Buffalo. That's your fault. Mm-hmm. You understand? This, I, I know there are two sides to every story. But at its core, this is a story of a 24-year-old man who wants to be in control of how his neck, his spine, is operated upon. And a group of old rotten bastards who don't want to let him, not because 
he wants some crazy surgery that's never been done, but just because they want to protect their asset. But not because they want to protect their asset to build a long and healthy relationship with the franchise. Because that ship has sailed. They just want him to be healthy so that they can then trade him, but they could have traded him to a team that would let him have the surgery he wanted to have in the first place. And now, Jack Eichel is not only not going to play this season for the Sabres, or for anyone else, probably, he's also going to miss out on the Olympics, thank you very much for the sake of America, which is a dream of his because these slimy fucks, and I'm sorry, I'm trying to swear less on this show and in general, but these slimy (laughs) bastards won't allow a 24-year-old man, which is both like... It's both annoying because it's like, on the one hand, he's so young, and this is a surgery that could affect the rest of his life. On the other hand, he's not a child, and he doesn't need this paternalistic team saying, no, no, Jack, hockey players get neck fusions. They don't get artificial disc replacements or whatever. Mm -hmm. I hate this story so much and i have gone from having pity on the buffalo savers and i still have immense pity for their fans but i have gone from having pity on the buffalo savers to hating this team i think more than any other organization in the sport until kevin adams is gone and the friggin pagulas are gone they're just gonna be a a shithole for the for the foreseeable future the misery index spoiler alert it's them it's (laughs) they're the they're the worst team they will remain the worst team for as long as I can possibly imagine, because I just cannot possibly understand this. I know that, like I said, I'm sure there's another side to the story. I'm sure there's stuff we don't know on the Jack Eichel side that's been done or said, but the optics of this, we're going to talk a fair amount about about optics today because there's a couple other stories, um, but, but as a tweet, I just... Just read Erica at Turbo Lowry retweeted the Kevin Adams quote and said, you were quite literally committing a human rights violation against him, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) And honestly, that's what it feels like. It feels like it's just a team screwing over a kid because they can. That's really what it's become. They're doing everything they can to make this kid's life miserable, to publicly blackmail him into getting a surgery that he doesn't want, which anywhere else would be an actual crime. That would be an actual, that would be actual, definable, punishable criminal conduct. But because of the CBA and because of the power mismatch here, they get to do it, and we're just supposed to say, yeah, well, you got to see the Sabres side, too. No, I don't. No, I don't. I don't at all have to see the Sabres side, too. I don't have to see the labor agreement side. I don't have to see any side I don't want to see, and I can only see the Jack Eichel side of this argument, and that's where it's going to be. So how do you feel about it? Tell me how I'm wrong. No, you're 100% correct. Um <laughs> I just don't see how you can't treat this guy like a human being at this point and just let him get the surgery he wants. Like, you're you're his team only by law. At this point, you're, like, not his team. This is like um, when you break up with somebody and you're living with them, and it's like, you've broken up, but you can't move out yet or whatever. So it's like, you're not together, but we are literally together, mm-hmm. but we're not together in a relationship way. It's like, he's still a Buffalo Saver by law, but, like, 
this is not like this is not his team anymore obviously um so at this point even though you are the one that gets to make the call and the final decision on what sort of surgery he gets just recognize he's not your player anymore and just let him get the surgery he wants i understand that maybe some other teams that were offering things for him also want him to get a neck fusion i'll be honest with you you're doing him a giant favor if you let him get the surgery he wants, and then he can only go to the teams that were okay with it in the first place. Because poor Jack, you can't trade him to, let's say, Arizona, and then have like uh, Armstrong down there, Bill Armstrong, be like, well, we really want you to get a fusion as well. Because now you're just fucking kicking this dude in the balls. Like, no way. Let him have the surgery. Teams can make the decision they want as whether or not they think it's harmed this asset of theirs. And, and go from there. Just let him have it. That's what I mean. Like, you're not... You've lost. You're not going to get the better return, no matter what, mm-hmm. because he's, he's he's a broken asset. He hasn't played in however long. Sure, he's like the second overall pick. Sure, he's like the second best thing since Connor McDavid or whatever. But it's like you, you're not going to get what you want, no matter what. It's not going to be worth what Jack Eichel could be or was to your team before all this. Mm-hmm. So just... Live with that and trade him, you know? You're going to be the loser in all this. You're not going to get any better from this trade. Like, maybe a little bit with picks or whatever. But, like, there's, you're, like you were saying, they're so bad. They're such a, excuse me, miserable franchise. That, like, I know, I know it's almost impossible for the front office to have to acknowledge that. But just acknowledge that and move on. Like you're this. This is not the make or break trade for you. It really isn't. You're already broken. <laughs> There's no. That's not. If we get win the Jack Eichel trade because we made him get a neck fusion surgery, we could turn this thing around real quick. It's like no, dude. No matter no matter what you get for him, you're still in a shit position. Mm-hmm. Like this is just. This is already done in my mind. He. They're getting nothing for him. They're getting very little. They're getting scraps. By you know, by definition of what they should be getting for him or could have gotten for him, you know, a year or two years ago, whatever. So just live with that. Live with that. Admit your your weird wrongdoing mistake and let him have the surgery because he's a person. I just don't fundamentally understand either why the mob boss of the NHL, Gary Bettman, mm-hmm. refuses to put his finger on the scale on these situations. Mm. I don't know. He will do anything. He will commit felonies to keep the Arizona Coyotes, who do not make money, in Arizona. He will do anything mm-hmm. that it takes. He will sacrifice anything because that's his weird thing. But this franchise, which could be a huge moneymaker, mm-hmm. is making itself a mockery. A mockery of an, a sports organization. Probably the most embarrassing sports organization at any level of professional sport in the, in the United States. Mm-hmm. And he won't just say, listen, give up. He's getting the surgery he wants, and then you're trading him. And that's the end of the story. They, I don't... That's why I think they're like, well, that would make, you know, that sends a wrong message to people to the Buffalo Sabres, and, like, the, the players can do whatever they want. I'm like, no, dude, you're already a shit organization. There's no... You're, like, you're bad. Just let things happen so you can start to get better again. Because none of what you're doing now in this trade is going to make you better now. It's so embar- it's just so embarrassing. It's... Just get it over with. Let's rip the band-aid off and they're like, "No, no, 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 no. If I leave the band-aid on for another month, it'll really heal." Yeah, I really I'm genuinely I wish I could 
speak to Kevin Adams. And look, I know Kevin Adams is just a front man. Like, I get that. But, like, I wish I could have a conversation with him and just be like, what? So what do you think is the end? What's the end game? Yeah, what is happening? What do you really think realistically is going to happen? You're going to get five first round picks Like, the only scenario that I could even make sense of justifying this behavior, not justifying, but explaining, is literally like he's got one team that says we'll trade for him, but it's only if he does the neck fusion. And let's say it's the Kings and we'll give you Byfield and um, our next best prospect and three first round picks and $50 million. Like (laughs) it has to be just, that would be the only thing I'd understand is if one offer was so astronomical and it was on the condition of him only agreeing to do the neck fusion. And I just don't think that's realistic. I don't think that's out there. John, I mean, he's not, well, that's the thing too. And he's, you're leaving it in the hands of your player who's told you to your face, I'm not doing this. There's nothing you can do to convince him otherwise. You know what I mean? So, like, live with that. Live with the fact that he's going to get this, like, this uh, disc replacement. And Mm -hmm. then that's it. That's a fact. And just move on from there. Like, you can't... They're hung up on this thing that's never going to happen. He's never getting that fusion surgery. Ever. So give up. Yeah. I mean, unless you want him... Seriously, because they'll be like, well, we can just hold on to him. Okay, and you guys. But he's can... not going to play. He will never play yeah, another game in the Buffalo Sabres. You jersey. will waste away. Like the little bit of an organization you are will wither on and, the vine if you do that. And listen, it doesn't matter in so many ways that this is a generational talent who could be a superstar in this league. Mm-hmm. But it does matter. It very much does matter. It very much does matter that this guy's going to miss the Olympics because of this crap. And we're not going to get to see McDavid and McKinnon against Eichel and Matthews. You know, Mm -hmm. like it does matter that that's going to happen. It wouldn't be different if it was Zimgus Gergensen's. But it would be. It fundamentally would be. And that's unfair to the lower roster guys, but it's just the truth. Mm -hmm. It's just the truth. And John Vogel wrote an article for The Athletic titled, uh, Vogel, Jack Eichel should be allowed to live the life he wants, not the life the Sabres want for him. And I just wanted to read the first few paragraphs of this because I think it kind of hits the nail on the head. The Sabres are wrong. Oh, sure, they've got the collective bargaining agreement on their side. One of Buffalo's best orthopedic surgeons backs them, too. But they're flat out wrong in their treatment of Jack Eichel. They're denying him a basic human right to decide what's best for his body. They're holding his career hostage. Despite words to the contrary, they're thinking about the player first and the person second. The never-ending saga took its latest turn Thursday when the Sabres placed Eichel on injury reserve for failing his physical and stripped him of the captaincy. Neither move was shocking. Eichel hasn't been able to play since suffering a herniated disc in his neck in March. He's requested a trade and isn't around the team, so there's no jersey awaiting a C. This is about more than a letter or cap space. It always has been. Eichel is a 24-year-old who's supposed to be in the prime of his life. He's a physical specimen, yada, 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 and now he has absolutely no say in the next step for his body. The CBA allows teams to determine the course of treatment for injuries. That's fine for ankle sprains, broken fingers, and ACL tears. Life-altering neck surgery is something else completely. Michael needs surgery to resume his NHL career and live a healthy life. He and the Sabres acknowledge that. It's the only thing accepted by both parties parties. The Sabres and their doctors insist on Eichel undergo fusion surgery. It involves removal of the damaged disc, etc. Eichel says no way, not a chance. Not happening. Never going to happen. 
And then one last point he goes on to make. In 10 years, Eichel will be 34. Given his skills, he'll still be in the NHL. In 20 years, Eichel will be 44. He'd like to have a family and take his kids to the rink. Two or three neck surgeries could seriously limit his ability to have a long career or play with his children. Um, and that's the thing here. That's, you know, I, people, if you want more details, can listen to the 31 Thoughts episode with this. Uh, interview with Dr. Chad Prosmack. Where was it? Yes. Um, and he talks about the two surgeries. He's obviously biased, right? I mean, I get that. But he talks about the problem with the infusion is that it needs redoing a lot of the time, like a fourth of the time. It needs a new surgery and maybe a follow-up to that. And then the more surgeries you have on your neck, the more limiting it is. This is the stuff that happens to wrestlers all the time. And it's how, you know, guys like Edge, if wrestling fans, his career was thought to be over because he got repeated neck fusions. And they're like, okay, we can't do this again. And if you hurt your neck again, you will be paralyzed. And he was like, okay, so maybe not with the falling <laughs> off ladders and stuff so much anymore, you know? But like... I we can move on from this because there's no you know we're not getting anywhere but <sighs> it's just disgusting it's honestly sick um, that this team is willing to willing to do this to a child with no end game there's no not a child but a young man with there's no end game there's no victory here and I just don't get it um, anything else you want to say on that uh, when do you think you get straighted I don't know I have no read on it now because it's like. If you get, I've, he has to get traded now before the operation. The trade, the team's just going to have to trade for an injured player, mm-hmm. and they're not going to get crap for him. And it'll be an embarrassment. Kevin Adams will be fired, and they'll find another yes man to <laughs> not take the heat. I, I think it's going to take. It's going to take it's, months. It's going to take gonna months. I think it's going to go into December. Yeah, going to. It's going to be halfway through the season, and then they'll trade him. Yeah, Whew. it's an embarrassment. I I just can't imagine. I mean, look at this. Look at what they're doing and then be a player on that team. You know what I mean? And just be like, well, this team, I don't know. It's just its just a really bad look. It's a huge black eye. And like you said, I'm kind of surprised Gary Bettman doesn't go and like try and sort of fix this behind the scenes. But also I'm not surprised because that dude's just like sucking on the owner's teats. And he's like, well, this is what the owners would want. You know, got to make that money. You don't want to make a weird trade. I really do. This sort of stuff I see, and I think back in the early days of hockey, I'm like, man, the owners suck, but so do the players. Everyone sucks. And then the more I think about it, I'm like, nah, it's pretty much the owners and all those teams that suck. Like, these players, uh, I'm on their side now. There are some sucky players, for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The NHLPA, I like, but the NHLPA... Josh Archibald, looking at you. (laughs) The NHLPA isn't is like both the friend and the enemy because I'm like, hey, I'm on your side, but then you guys agree to dumb shit. So like, I'm like, you're not really advocating for your players as well as you should be. So I never know. But yeah, I hope he gets traded sooner than later. I was really hoping he'd be able to have surgery and be back in time for the Olympics, but that's not going to happen. So Godspeed. Yeah. Yep. 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 All right. Um, let's raffle, let raffle, rapid fire some blues topics. Robert Thomas signs, Roy Donk signs for two years. He's no Roy two, Donk. At 2.8 million, twinning with Jordan Cairo. Um, 
I think this is probably a situation where Jordan Kyrie signed his contract and Robert Thomas said, what the hell? I need to make at least that much. And they were like, fine, you can make that much. And Robert Thomas was like, fine. What are your <laughs> thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a good I think it's a good number for him, especially a guy that still needs to kind of prove it. I think this is these next two years are big years for him and Jordan yeah. Cairo. I think, like you said, it goes right into the two-year plan, the two-year window that yeah. apparently exists. Armstrong's got two years left on his contract. So do O'Reilly and Cairo and Thomas and everything. I mean, they'll both be RFAs still, right? Mm-hmm. Thank goodness. Um, but... It's, I mean, it's a lot of players, it's a lot of key, what should be key players up at the same time. So you kind of hope that they make the best of it these next two years. Yeah. But it'll be, it'll be interesting. It'll be very interesting. I think for both these guys, it's too much right now. Like, it feels mm. like too much money yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah. But it could be, it could look like a huge bargain almost immediately. Yeah. And that's kind of the kind of the razor's edge you walk with young guys. But like if these guys have six points in their first ten games, six apiece or something like that, then nobody's gonna worry about them making two point eight million dollars. It's gonna be a huge deal. They won't even be arbitration eligible. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. See they'll be just fine. Right. I um, think that'll be good too because what? That brings them both to like twenty five and twenty four. So mm-hmm. You can start buying up UFA years if they look really good, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So you can get them. You can get them for the prime. That's the right, prime baby. Prime of their careers. That uh, that Ryan O'Reilly situation. Get them to like their late mid, early mid thirties, you know. Yeah. And... Oh, speaking of Ryan O'Reilly, I had a conversation with somebody where I brought up that he had two years left, and I think they heard that I was a little shaky, like, oh, who knows what will happen? And they were like, well, they'll. They're going to sign him for whatever he needs and bring him back. And I was like, you know what? I thought the same thing of Alex Petrangelo. <laughs> and he's gone. So I got to tell you, folks, until until Armstrong comes out and he's like, we're moving heaven and earth to keep O'Reilly here, some BS. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't believe that guy's coming back in two years, no matter what kind of seasons <laughs> this team has. Wow. I do not care. I don't know. I, would, I feel like he has to come back for this team to make any sense, right? Of course. That's what I also thought last year. So yeah, I, don't I mean, know, man. it really is. It's it's such a two year window now. It's so much like I'm you, excited and scared. it's exciting, but it's like you just literally have no idea. I mean, you know, some of the faces that will be here in the third season from now. Third, mm. I guess, yeah, the third. But like, it could be such a different outlook in either direction. Right. You know, we could have traded for Matthew Kachuk and resigned. O'Reilly and re-upped uh, Armstrong and, you know, found that fourth defenseman or Scott Perunovich is taking over the world. And we could look like we're set for years to be a, a top contender, too. That won't be what happens because we're the <laughs> Blues, but let us dream for a while. No more tears, only dreams now. Back to reality. Um, yep. Hope there goes gravity. Um, Bozak is back, baby. Signed at league minimum with a lot of very reachable bonus incentives. Good for him. Yeah. And no harm. I'm glad, you know, it's 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 always weird how these guys become, like, St. Louis guys. Like, I feel like with Tyler Bozak, it's almost like, well, 
we're not moving or anything, so like I'll either play here or like I guess I'll just retire. Or whatever, you know? like, that definitely was a feeling where he was like, "I'm still interested in staying," and they're like, "We're interested in you staying too. You are also priority ten, <laughs> so like we'll get to you, but you well, gotta wait." Gonna have to play the uh, um, Lou Lamorello game and just trust we, us on. This. We've announced the Tyler Bozak signing. Um, yeah, I'm glad he's back. He's a good, good veteran presence guy. I, I wonder a little bit about like how they're going to construct this top six or even like top nine because, I mean, he's a center. Thomas is a center. Shen likes to play center. Yeah, I mean, I know I th- Riley's a center, so I'm assuming they'll probably be kind of moving between Shen and Bozak and Thomas a bit depending on what side they are for, for face-offs and all that jazz. I think you definitely have to see with him. what You probably had to set the expectation of like, hey, you're not guaranteed to play every night. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. Gonna be You're not going to be a taxi squad guy, but you're not, you're not, you shouldn't take healthy scratches as, as an insult either. You know, like you're probably going to be in that sort of tweener territory. I mean, he's what, the next oldest forward in our group is Perron at 33, mm-hmm. and after that it's like O'Reilly and Shen at 30. So, I mean, he's definitely, he's definitely the senior over there, yeah. so... Yeah, and I'm fine with it. He's the new Alexander I'm Steen. not worried about it. <laughs> <laughs> They're saying Tyler Bozak isn't a player. <laughs> they said that to him at a dinner. <laughs> they said Tyler Bozak is just some dumb hick. They told him that at a dinner. <laughs> uh, all right. More coffin flop, folks. It never goes away. Uh, Michael Froelich and James Neal signed professional tryouts to join the boys at camp, and I care not at all. I don't get the people who, like, get real worked up about this. Like, what are you talking about you're bringing in James Neal? It's like, yeah, a tryout is a tryout. And let's not forget that the greatest goalie in the history of the Blues joined the team on a professional tryout. And Scotty Upshaw. Um, Yeah, and Scotty Upshaw. (laughs) Uh, you know what it's like, I don't, I don't get the hysterics. I, I was on, I, I should have mentioned this at the top. I meant to, I got to join the, uh, let's go boys radio boys yesterday on their podcast. Um, so go listen to that after you finish listening. The no. second best blues podcast out there. Yeah. Not, we're not first, but we no, just no. assume there's one better than them. Uh, <laughs> but, um, we, one of them mentioned, I think it was Jeff Ponder, but it might have been Kurt. It might have been Bill. Who knows? It was one of them. Uh, I said all their names, so, you know, points for that. But uh, they made a good point that, like, especially with when these were, when they guys, when they signed these guys, Thomas was unsigned, Sunquist is injured, Tarasenko's future was uncertain. You probably just want to bring in some extra dudes who are, like, veterans, and even if they can't go at the top level, they, like, know their crap, and they're going to run the drills right and, like, play their part for the other players to play and train around them. I thought that was a really good point. But on the other side of this, like, James Neal at $900,000 doesn't bother me if it somehow he ends up showing he's got a lot left in the tank and earning a spot here. We've seen this happen before. You mentioned uh, Scotty Upshaw. We saw it with Brian Elliott. Didn't somebody else sign the year Scotty Upshaw signed and, and do a year or two here, too, I feel like? Maybe, yeah. <coughs> but What about Paul Bissonnette and Brian right. Whitney? Well, that was kind of the other end of the spectrum, but like... <laughs> Who cares? You know, if the presence guys, if they bring some fun to the locker room, they bring a little veteran leadership, maybe they teach 
you know, a Jake Neighbors or, or, or a Robert Thomas something. Like, I just don't understand how you get fired up about this. I don't think they make the team. But if they do, it's probably because they really impressed and earned a spot, you know? Mm. Um, That's what I mean. If they make the team, you should feel good because at least they played well enough in, in Armstrong's eyes. And two, they're replacing someone that really shouldn't have been here anyways, depending on who it is. Um, Neil, I don't see making this team. For a leak, that guy's a PK specialist. The Blues love defense, 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 defense. Mm-hmm. So I could, I could see him being a sneaky... 23rd forward, you know? Yeah. Uh, a guy that's getting scratched all the time, but is out there when we really need him. I could see that happen. Yep. Um, and I will just say here, because I don't know where else to say it. I don't know if it's uh, this. I don't know if it's Tarasenko or what it is. I just have a feeling that there's going to be some roster shakeup still on this team. Mm-hmm. They're... <sighs> We'll talk about this in a minute, but Scott Perunovich is making this team. Mm-hmm. He's, I think he'll play more than like 70 games for the Blues <laughs> this year. Uh, we'll talk about that. But like, there was an article a couple weeks ago from Jeremy Goffer before the Traverse City stuff about how Jake Neighbors is like trying his ass off to make this team and the Blues are going to give him an extended look. Mm-hmm. And I almost forget Clem Costin as a human and right. has to like basically has to make this team or it's like all right then you got to get traded or do something you know like something's got to change for you he's on the pyramid's edge yeah um and i just feel like this could be what was it i guess it was i guess it was 2018 2019 with thomas and Cairo, where they like cut a couple of people Mm -hmm. right at the end of camp that you didn't expect i think gaskin was one of them they waved him and they were like, okay, these young kids made the roster. Now we're going to see what we can do with it. Like, I would not be shocked if something like that happened. And, like, we either, you know, cut a Kyle Clifford and a Mackenzie McEachern. Or, like, you know, obviously if we trade Tarasenko, that's going to be part of it. But, like, even if we traded, like, a Zach Sanford or a Robert Bortuzzo for next to nothing but just cleared a spot. Mm-hmm. Like, I just feel like the, the pieces here aren't quite set yet. Mm-hmm. It may be... Uh, you know, kind of tinfoil hat, but that's kind of my read on it. So. No, I agree. I think, especially with um, with Costin, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, crap, I totally forgot you were here. Um, and I feel like uh, Armstrong tends to be kind of a late maneuverer, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, and while we were in Traverse City, uh, my friend Garrett, who I go up with, who's much bolder than I am, asked Army if he had any magic left up his sleeve for the... Uh, for before the season and he said i hope so so that obviously means he's got something big cooking and we're breaking it here that's right um he said i hope so he also opened a door for me at one point and i was like thanks army that's the second coolest thing you've ever done for me <laughs> um but uh and he gave you a quizzical look yeah <laughs> and i'm like i'll let you guess i'll let you guess <laughs> uh but yeah, speaking of not cool things that Doug Armstrong has done. <laughs> a mixed bag, a real mixed bag. Peter Chiarelli and Ken Hitchcock in one fell swoop joined the organization in official positions. The Blues have named former Bruins and Oilers general manager Peter Chiarelli as vice president of hockey operations, part of a series of changes to St. Louis Hockey Operations Department announced Wednesday. 
Dave Taylor, who previously served as the team's vice president of hockey operations, will assume the role of senior advisor to hockey operations. Ken Hitchcock, who coached the Blues from 2011 to 2017 and reached the postseason in each of his five full seasons, rejoins the organization as a coaching consultant. Hitchcock has 22 seasons of NHL coaching experience and ranks fourth in league history with 849 wins and sixth in games behind the bench. Shirelli, 57, began his executive career with the Ottawa Senators after the team hired him as their assistant general manager in 99. During his time with the Bruins, uh, Boston earned the President's Trophy in 2014, reached the postseason seven times, and made two trips to the Stanley Cup Finals, winning the Cup in 2011. In almost four seasons with the Oilers, the team made one second-round playoff appearance. And then this is from um, JR's article. Uh, Armstrong is probably looking for more front office support, especially since he'll be holding the dual role of Team Canada's GM for the 2022 Beijing Olympics and spending a lot of time on that endeavor. Despite outside perception, Armstrong has confidence that Chiarelli, who won a Stanley Cup as GM of the Bruins, can do his job, can do this job, and so the announcement is no surprise. Furthermore, Hitchcock has been a longtime mentor for Blues coach Craig Berube, and in fact, the two have kept up their communication over the years, including when Berube led the franchise to its first Stanley Cup in 2019. So the fact that the Blues are making Hitchcock a coaching consultant should be no surprise either. He was already doing that job, and the only difference now is that it's an official title. Hitchcock won't be any threat to Berube, who is in the last year of his contract, because that ship has sailed. So, do you want to give my, your thoughts, or you want me to give mine? Um, my thoughts are that... This is not as big as a deal as as, as everyone <laughs> as everyone was making it to be. Like there's all there's always people in the wings doing weird shit for your team that you just don't know about. I am obviously more concerned about Peter Shirelli being here as mm-hmm. everyone else is than Ken Hitchcock. I did see some people freaking out about Hitchcock, and I was like, let's be honest. As much as I wanted the guy gone, like everybody else, he was also like probably like the best coach here at mm-hmm. least for a long string of time so i'm totally fine with it it's not like the thing he coaches our team to do and the way that Bruby coaches our team it's like any different yep quite honestly so it's like that's that makes sense um i'm more interested to just i honestly and i think you tweeted this and you could talk about this a little bit but like i'm more interested interested to know what it is that peter shirelli is doing yeah like, I really don't think he's, like, fucking up the team or anything. <laughs> but I just, I honestly, just out of curiosity, I'm like, what is he doing here? Yeah. So, like, that's part of, I've got a lot of thoughts on this. I'll try to keep them brief. But, like, for the Peter Shirelli thing, whatever. Like, <laughs> my big concern here, my only real concern with Peter Shirelli is, like, it just does open the door to him being the next GM, which is what really bothers me yeah, from yeah. like it just because of the NHL and how it does things and the old boys club and the endless rope for people who have already failed at their jobs and Doug Armstrong's contract is one more year in a team option. And like if for some reason he moves on or doesn't get resigned or decides to retire or God forbidden is fired. It's like, well, Peter Shirelli's already here and Tom Stillman already knows him. And that's my only big concern mm-hmm. with that. But like, Andy's won a cup by Gotti. And he won a cup by, you know, because he was the genius that made the uh, Maple Leafs give him 
Tuka Rask for Andrew Raycroft <laughs> and give him the picks that became Dougie Hamilton and Tyler Sagan for Phil Kessel. So, um, but no, like, I, it doesn't really bother me. But the thing with him is, like, GMs do so much. Like, we only think about trading and signing players and drafting. Mm. But they also, you know, s- theoretically set ticket prices. Like, and, you know, run the organization from the top down, you know, manage the facilities like they have underlings that you know oversee that but like that's also under their purview Mm -hmm. you know a lot of times and with Chirelli maybe he's just like like maybe he's really good at building a scouting department or you know maybe he's super super good at one skill that we just don't know about because it's not the thing that came to the forefront and that's like the reason that the blues are interested in having him around maybe he's really good at like managing a marketing department i don't know you know i don't Mm. know and that's why it's just of interest to me to be like how is he consulting what is his primary focus I don't. I'm not gonna write the guy off just because he was a nightmare in in uh, Edmonton. Like, I'm sure Doug Armstrong sees value in him. I'm just curious where, mm-hmm. because he's terrible. <laughs> um, he's a diamond in the rough. I am of two minds with the Hitchcock side of things. On the one hand, who cares? Craig Berube, Craig Berube was already talking to him. And they were already discoursing. I don't. I don't care. And mm. um, you know, a coaching consultant role. He's not going to interact with players anyway, which is his big Achilles' heel as a coach is wearing on the players. So again, like I really, really don't care. However, this is the this is the crazy conspiracy theory in me. I do not believe for one second that he's no threat to Craig Berube's job. I do not for one second believe that he's not a threat at all to the head coach. I know the NHL too well to believe that shit. I'm sorry. I've been in this game too long to to take JR's word for that. I have seen too much crap to believe that if this team starts... Two for 14, two of 14, or let's even, let's be more realistic. And it's just like four, four, eight and one, you know? And, and, uh, I'm not sure that Craig Berube's got the longest leash with Doug Armstrong as it is. And he sees players being mismanaged or whatever. And he's like, you know what? I'm firing Craig Berube. And who happens to already be here, but, a Hall of Fame NHL hockey coach and one of my best friends in the world who's familiar with the organization and the players. Like, I don't think that's going to happen, but you just cannot convince me it can't happen, you know? Mm. And that's like I tweeted yesterday, like, if you gave me plus 2,000 on Ken Hitchcock coaching the Blues odds, I'd take that bet. I put $100 on it just for the lulls, just so that if it happened and the, you know, million to one shot that it did, I made $1,900. Don't, don't put that evil on us. I mean, I don't even hate Ken Hitchcock that much, but, oh, God. If we're, if we're getting rid of Barubi, please, for the love of God, I want 
a fresh. Yeah. I know we're not going to get fresh, but fresher than that. Yeah. No, I mean, like, I, obviously it wouldn't be a permanent solution, but I just feel like... Would it not be? The same... Well, you remember <laughs> when Craig Berube was the solution, it was it was supposed to be interim until it wasn't anymore, you yeah, know? Yeah. Like, I I kind of wonder the same thing. And also, it's like, even even if it really is interim, even if it's like, look, listen, we're going to interview a few people, but can, you're here, can you step behind the bench and get your 850? win like that scenario is completely realistic to me but whatever i don't really care um (laughs) the thing about this that just really floors me is just the optics of it for a fan base when you already haven't had a great summer with your fan base and the tarasenko stuff Mm. it's just like yeah let's announce this to the world and do it proudly yeah so they were doing this already on the side without an announcement so maybe just let them keep doing that yeah exactly i didn't want to know this (laughs) i didn't need to you didn't need to make it official not for me no sir um so, yeah, that was my only thought with that. And speaking of Tarasenko, let's quickly go through this uh, and then we can move on. Uh, he's at camp. He had some quotes today. My mindset is good. Happy to be with the guys. I have a good relationship with the guys. It's been a weird summer, but that's going to stay between us, between me and uh, I guess he said Army. I hate when they do this like Blues general manager, Doug Armstrong. And it's like, okay, but what did he actually say? Like, yeah. tell me what he said and then fill in the details. Between me and Blues general manager, <laughs> Doug Armstrong. Yeah, it's like the um, Daryl Hammond <laughs> voice coming up. <laughs> Blues general manager, Doug Armstrong. <laughs> just dub over. Yeah. Um, I'm here to work. It's Bozo dubbed over. As long as I play here, <laughs> I will work 100%. I'm 100% healthy. I'm not even supposed to be here. <laughs> Oh God! I, okay, so what do you put the where do you put Tarasenko's trade at, and you know what month? Uh, September. September. I think it. Takes I don't us, know. I think it takes us to Thanksgiving. I don't know why I still believe this is going to happen. No, I know there's no reason. To, I already but told I do. I already told you what's going to happen yep. is he's going to start slow. Yep. People are going to be like, oh boy, he's still injured. Yep. Then he's, we're going to get like a couple weeks in, he's going to be on fire all of a sudden. Or as, as on fire as he can be these mm-hmm. days. And people are like, oh, he's doing pretty good. He's doing interviews. He's like, you know, the boys we, the boys are, are pumped. We were on this like five-game winning streak, yada, yada. I just uh, want to do... I'd love to hear him just cut before he leaves town just a total like like a bro from yeah. California interview. Oh, the boys are so pumped. We're, we're freaking jonesed out for this road trip, baby. As yeah, English got way better. <laughs> but we're all going to be lulled into a false sense of security and be like, you know what? I think he sticks it out here. Maybe bridges have been mended. And the bammo is going straight to Arizona for mm-hmm. nothing. We're for getting nothing. nothing for him. Uh, and then we'll all be sad again and we'll be angry. I guarantee and you when he gets traded, we'll I guarantee you, they're like half, half, you're half of this fan base. Is going to be pissed, mm-hmm. even though it's been in their brains that he asked for a trade, and that Armstrong has been trying to facilitate said trade, and that anyone who has written about this professionally has said there's no mending this relationship. So then, when he gets traded in two months, people will still be like, "What?" Yep. Yep. I uh, there, in in his article, Roy Donk, in his article <laughs> today. Um, 
JR talked about like how if one of the teams still involved is the Hurricanes, but if they were going to trade, they'd probably need to include a player of around four five point five million on, and we'd have to retain some salary. The players that meet that description are Toivo Teravainen, Nito Niederreiter, and Jacob Slavin and Brady Shea, which. Honestly, give me any of them. I mean, give me Jacob Slavin. Oh, yeah. I get to pick, <laughs> but um, I don't think I don't think even Tom Dundon is that stupid. But God, could he be just this Come once? On. He's but like this guy scored forty goals, and Jacob Slavin's never even scored ten. Tom, <laughs> come on, that's just math. <laughs> he calls up uh, Don Waddell uh, Army, doesn't he? He's like, listen, Donnie. Put Daddy on the phone. I don't need to talk to you. <laughs> I need to talk to the decision makers, Donnie. <laughs> right. That's like in movies where they're like negotiating and they come into a room and it's some scary looking dude, but then you realize, no, that guy's not really Raz Al Ghul. It's this other dude yeah. that's Raz Al Ghul. And you're like, oh, let me talk to the real guy. Mm-hmm. The pocketbook. You thought darkness was your ally, Batman. Uh, Tarasenko also went on to say, it is all behind. I don't see the reason to discuss it now. Camp starts, you know, and I don't want to be a distraction in the room. Like I said, I'm here to work, I'm healthy, and I'm happy to play hockey again. I mean, he said great things about, you know, players said nice things about him. Like, it's over. Find a new show. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I just... It's Jack Eichel to a much smaller extent because Tarasenko is supposedly healthy, but it's like just I don't want to see this anymore. Mm-hmm. I want Tarasenko to be here. I want Tarasenko to be here and be productive and love it and there to be no animosity. But that ship has sailed, so now I'm ready to move on. I will still root for Tarasenko on whatever team he's on more than I've probably rooted for any other ex-Blue in my last, whatever, 12 years or whatever. Like... I want him to do well wherever he goes, but it's not here, and it pains me. It pains me to still see him here knowing that deep down he doesn't want to be in this organization. Yeah. Does he want to be in the city or with these these players or whatever, with these fans? Sure, but in the organization, he no longer wishes to remain. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I just, it's it's painful. I'm see, I'm I'm... I cannot stress this enough that I'm going to feel real pain when I see him take the ice on the home opener and he's skating around, he's making passes and shooting the puck. It's this weird thing that when he scores a goal, I'll be happy but also really sad Mm -hmm. because it's like forcing me to watch what will never be, even though it's in front of me right now. I'll be like, this will never happen again for us. There's no more joy in this. The joy has been taken from me. Yeah. Um, so just move on, you know, for my sanity. Move on. Yeah. That's such a good way to put it, honestly. Like, it's just sad. It's, it's just like sad. you broke up. Move out. And it's like, well, there's no other really good apartments right now. And it's like, just move. Move <laughs> into a box. I don't care. Get out of here. <sighs> yep. <sighs> All right, I let's, love you. I love you, Boba. Let's talk about Traverse City, shall we? And the Prospect Pyramid. The Traverse. reason everyone Traverse City. Did you listen last night? <laughs> no. So, um, on the podcast I did with the boys last night, uh, we found out <laughs> Stephen and the boys. We we found out that uh, Jeff Ponder 
has been mis- mispronouncing Traverse City for like 20 years and calling it Traverse City. Oh, no. And then like back on his media days, he used to work for KSDK. He used to still call it that. And it was just funny. We made a lot of fun of him and called it Chevy Traverse City and all sorts <laughs> of stuff. But anyway, um, as all of you probably know by now, the Traverse City Prospect Tournament takes place in Traverse City, Michigan every year, except last year for obvious reasons. I have had the pleasure to go with friend of the podcast, Garrett Kochner, uh, three years, three uh, tournaments at least running, um, and I really strongly recommend it to anyone who can make it happen. Um it's a beautiful time of year. It's a beautiful area. It's on Lake Michigan. Um, it's just a gorgeous town. There's a lot of like, it's that kind of mid-size, I wouldn't even really call it a city, but it's like just big enough where it like feels like there's enough to do and enough going on. And there's like a cool little downtown area, you know, but it's oh, not yeah. even when there's stuff in the town, it's not like overwhelming or super crowded. And there's some cool places. There's an incredible ice cream shop just out of town. You, you should go to the town, even if you don't go to the tournament, but the tournament's a ton of fun and you get to hobnob with celebrities and, you know, sit two seats over from your Mokeka See, that's what's got to be weird is walking around some little town and being like, hey, there's Doug Armstrong yeah, walking across I've, the same street. I've never actually, I don't think I've seen a player. Oh, no, that's not true. Uh, one time we were there and we went to um, a bar for dinner and uh, Craig Berube and his whole staff walked in. <laughs> I think it was after they won the cup, too. It was Berube and Ott and Van Ryan all just came into this little hole in the wall that we went to for dinner. So that was fun. And then this year, we just so happened to be uh, in the Blues Hotel uh, through careful planning and stalking and uh, a little bit of hacking. No, we just ended up being there. And one morning, we stepped out of our room onto the kind of beach back behind the hotel, not kind of beach. It was a beach. Lake Michigan was right there. (laughs) And um, the Blues were doing like their morning like stretches and yoga and like light training on the sand out there. And it's like, huh. This is weird. <laughs> just watch this happen. Yeah, and trying to figure out who's who, you know, and like there's a couple that are obvious, like Alexei Torachenko because he's 83 feet tall, and Joel Hofer, and you know Dakota Joshua and Nikita Alexandrov, a couple of guys that you like recognize, and then the rest of them that you're like, which one are you? Since half of them aren't even blues players anyway. Uh, so on that note, the guys invited up were Nikita Alexandrov, Zachary Bolduck, uh, who did not get to play due to injury, which is a real disappointment. Uh, Tanner Dickinson, Dakota Joshua, Matthias Laferriere, Humaging, Jake Neighbors, Alexei Toropchenko, Kian Washkrak, and then the roster invitees, non-roster invitees, Daniel D'Amico, Riley Grinnell, Gunnell, uh, Denny Gore. Braden Guy and Landon McCallum. I wanted to put this here real quickly because um, Scott Wheeler did an excellent article looking at um, some of the guys that were on each team and just some quick takeaways. And Braden Guy really did stand out to uh, Garrett and I and Scott even made a note about him and said, Guy was involved in absolutely everything. He was hard to miss with his work ethic and the way he buzzed around the offensive zone making things happen. As far as free agents invite... Free agent invites go. I thought he was excellent. So just a little shout out to Braden Guy. If he gets a spot with the Thunderbirds or whoever, I would not complain. And Landon McCallum was also there. 
on defense, uh, Scott the Golden God Perunovic, Tyler Jocker, <laughs> Tyson Galloway, Cole Larkin, Griffin Lucy, Sam McGinley, Andrew Parrott, and Nate Steos. All of those were invites except for Perunovic, Tucker, and Galloway. And then the three goalies, Joel Hofer, Colton Ellis, and Will Cranley. Um, not really going to do the game-by-game breakdown uh, because I don't have my notes in front of me and because... They were pretty, they were all pretty similar. The first two, I felt like we were the better team in the first two. Mm. Um, we lost to Toronto, but it was an overtime. And it was a come from behind. Uh, yeah. Came they, from they down three to nothing. Point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I felt like, sorry, awkwardly time sip. <laughs> I felt like they did well. Uh, the Red Wings game was probably the most fun game I've watched out there uh, because it was scrappy and physical um and we were in their face and it was the building was as packed as i've ever seen it um and uh you know it was obviously it's in michigan so it's a very biased crowd and it felt like being on the road at a hockey you know obviously on a smaller scale but it was a lot of fun and the blues played really well and won that one deservedly um and then we got kind of dirt roaded by the stars on the last game but i don't think we were really as bad as the score looked i think we just had a couple of stretches that they let a couple get in and and uh will cranley did not have his best game um but you know i don't think it was the end of the world so do you want to dive into the prospect pyramid? Let's build it. All Let's right. Build Let's the build pyramid. it from the ground up, except we actually go from the top down. We we built this city on rocks and stone. I don't. I don't know. Anyway, I hate that song, but you know, you know what you got to do. It's a great song, and how terrible it is. It's really bad, but it's good. That's like, is that a? So they were Jefferson Starship. No, Jefferson Aeroplane, then Aeroplane, then they're Jefferson Starship, and then they were just Starship. I think so. And I think this was just Starship. Yep. It's and like they got, and they definitely got worse and worse. <laughs> yeah. And I think that song gets voted like worst rock song it's ever terrible. all the time. Truly really bad. But, but they built that city. They built it. Uh, the Prospect Pyramid. Folks who don't know the story, you want to tell them or should I tell them yet? Um, you tell them. All right. The Prospect Pyramid was the brainchild of our, uh, I almost said our Lord and Savior, Steve Dangle. Um, Steve Dangle, who was an inspiration for this show starting, if you don't know, a Toronto area, uh, originally blogger and podcaster and YouTube fan and now just an everything like a Sportsnet superstar. Angry but child turned multimedia No, no one listening to this doesn't know who Steve yeah, Dangle yeah, is. Know. Why do I do these things? Um, <laughs> but Steve Dangle created the Prospect Pyramid as a different approach to ranking prospects rather than having uh, impossible to resolve arguments about whether Scott Perunovich is better than Clem, Clem Coston or Hugh McGing is more likely to succeed than Dakota Joshua. Uh, he simply decided to sort the prospects into tiers so there are six tiers the first tier is the elite tier now steven this other steven Mm -hmm. in his old age has gone soft and has started to uh loosen the restrictions for the elite tier as i understand it a Mm -hmm. little bit but in his original iteration which i think is best uh, usually i think uh, triples are best but in this case (laughs) i think uh exclusivity is best um the idea of the elite tier was that it was reserved for the truly 
elite players. Like elite, we all agree, is a word that gets thrown around too much. Oh, yeah. And so like this is an elite like Robert Thomas is elite, although Robert Thomas is elite. Mm-hmm. But this is elite in the sense that like this year, um, God, I don't even remember the draft. Uh, Owen Power would be your only arguable yeah, so. first-tier guy, and I'm not even sure he'd be. But, like, you know, uh, Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews, these guys are a head and shoulders above even other top prospects. Mm-hmm. You know, they're expected to be stars from the moment they step foot on the NHL ice. That's an elite star. Therefore, spoiler <laughs> alert, the Blues have no elite prospects. Uh and, you know, they have, you could argue, no elite players even. And they're, you know, we've talked about this a lot. Ryan O'Reilly is like the best hard worker, the best grinder that there's ever been, yeah, you know. Yeah. But, like, he doesn't have elite speed or an elite shot or, or really anything um, that makes him truly elite, except that he does everything so well and he's so practiced. Well, that, he's, he's beautiful, Steve. Yeah. But he's dying. And <laughs> he's, he's dying, but he's going to get better. <laughs> oh, God. People who don't know, I think you should leave. I know we've talked about this before. They're just not, uh, in a couple weeks, they're just not going to get I, this podcast. I was going to say, sorry, folks, but it's just going to transform just, into one We're not giant even going to say sentences anymore. Uh, but um, <laughs> uh, the Blues have no elite players, elite prospects. They're franchise-altering superstars, centerpiece-type players. Elite prospects would never come out of anywhere uh, but the first five picks of the draft unless you were looking back years later. So, like, now you could say a Braden Point is arguably an elite, like, would yeah, have been a Tier 1 if you'd off. known that he was going to become what he is. But you wouldn't have said that yeah. then, whereas Steven Stamkos actually was the first overall player. So yeah, name, they're made. No wonder that team's so good. They're made up of like number, like top five pick talent, and also like hitting mm-hmm. on every other pick they've ever made in late yeah, rounds. Yeah, they literally never missed on a pick. Where was Victor Hedman drafted? He was pretty. He high, was right? high. He was like top three. Yeah. Um. Still worked out though. Zach Bogosian was also a top three. That's right. <laughs> so... You picked Zach Bogosian and let us pick Petro. Sorry, Thrashers. This is why you are no longer franchise. <laughs> there was some guy out there. I kept meaning to look up who it was who was wearing like a Thrashers coat the whole time in Traverse City. And like that. all these people are walking around in like team affiliated stuff, but that's because they actually work for those teams, yeah, yeah. you know? Like you see scouts and stuff, but this guy. He had like a Thrasher's like coat on, but he was wearing like a Dallas Stars face mask, and I was just like, "Okay, oh yeah, that's right." Like, like because of the pandemic, I'm thinking yeah, hockey. No, not and I'm like, like a home. <laughs> I thought he was like in a full goalie mask. Yeah, I'm like this guy is very interesting. Uh, that's the last uh, Thrasher's GM. He still shows up there. He probably actually has a job in real <laughs> life, true. but it's true. I'm looking at the 19s in Thrasher's history. Uh, is it Sean McEachern, perhaps? Uh, Scott Mellonby? I would think I'd know if it was Scott Mellonby, right? Freddie Modine, Matt Reisner? I don't know any of these people. You don't have pictures of them? It's not Scott Mellonby. It's not Colby Armstrong. It's not Freddie Modine. I don't know. It's none of these people. I made it up. But anyway, it said number 19 on his thing. Uh, so, anyway. Should have yelled, go Jets, I know. <laughs> go Jets. Tear... Two, 
These are your top line, your top two defenders, your lion's share goalies. These are the guys they run in MVC commercials when your team is on national TV. And yes, if you've listened to Prospect Pyramids in the past, the script hasn't changed, folks. <laughs> uh, for the Blues, it's probably Ryan O'Reilly. Uh, Vladimir Tarasenko when he's fully healthy and if he was still here uh, Colton Pareko, maybe Jordan Bennington, yeah, that yeah, kind yeah. of guy uh, these are the guys you build your team around or they're the guys your elite players won't let you trade, usually first round picks. Tier 3 are studs, your top 6 top 4 starter in a tandem the guys you never, uh, you need to have on a contender but don't mm-hmm. think about the same way you think about stars they don't receive the national attention but they're huge contributors, your Perron your Shin, your Krugs, those kinds of guys. Tier 4, they're just solid players. Top 9, top 6 defensemen, backups in a tandem, the guys who play in significant roles. Sure, you can replace them, but why would you want to? Your Sunquests, your Barbashevs, your Scandellas. Well, I'd want to replace Scandella personally, but... <laughs> um, Tier 5, uh, you've got the serviceable people, uh, the bottom six, seventh defenseman, career backup. Uh, they aren't your favorite players. They, hell, they aren't anyone's favorite player, uh, but it's a cap league, and they usually won't embarrass you too badly. Robert Bortuzzo comes to mind. Uh, maybe Mackenzie McEachern fits here. Maybe your Zach Sanford fits here. Um, these are guys that you don't think of as being on the fringe of the roster. Like, they safely have a spot, but... You can't say much more about them than that. And then tier six is meh. Uh, It's everyone else. And then there's these guys. Don't bother learning their names because you won't need them next year. Wow, we were harsh when we wrote this. Um, Jordan Nolan is the example, so we didn't even just swap these out. That's how forgettable they are. Uh, You're looking at your Kyle Cliffords at this point. Um, I'll be honest. I saw Jordan Nolan, and I forgot that that wasn't Nolan (laughs) Stevens. (laughs) You're Nathan Walker, those kinds of guys. Very much on the fringe of the roster, on the taxi squad, healthy scratches, that sort of thing. So, I will give a fully honest take on this pyramid that it won't have changed a ton since the one we did eight or nine months ago, um, because how could it? We haven't Mm. seen a lot of these players. And as such, it'll probably be a little abbreviated from past years because there are a lot of these players who haven't played much in the last two years, and there's not a lot of stats or insights on them that we have now that we didn't have the last time. Looking at their stats, there's definitely a handful of players that played like three games Mm -hmm. for Utica and that was it and you're like okay well I guess I hope you trained I hope you (laughs) did more squats and that you're faster now but yeah there's there's been a little bit of movement and we've had people that graduated and people that are that moved on from the team so there's there's some in there plus obviously the four draft picks we got uh, yeah were made this summer obviously those guys are sometimes the hardest to read just because they're so young but in this case, I think there's more on them than some other players because they were part of the draft. So someone had to write something about these new players. Yeah, and I always say, we always say take our, our rankings of the, um, t- you know, the new guys with a grain of salt because, you know, we know the least about them. What happened, so. what happened to Muffin Man? That guy's gone. Oh, he got I mean, he's long gone. Oh, but Ian, give us time because we got a new Muffin Man. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, we'll see. You'll see. What a muffin! <laughs> it's a chunky. <laughs> you gotta know what you're doing. Don't swear. 
Jake Wallman, <laughs> Nico Mikkel, and Billy Huso have all graduated from the pyramid to starring or not so starring roles in the NHL. Jake Wallman, I would say, became tier five. He was pretty. He was solid we, last we year. Had, all three of those guys are like tier fives. We had Wallman at a with six. tier six. We had him at a six last year. Now he's on the team. I yeah. mean, I get that these aren't even really aside from tier six. None of these are really predicting how likely they are to uh-huh. be on the team. Obviously, the higher up the more sense it makes they make the team an elite, a star, yeah. a stud sort of guy. But like tier four and tier five people, we could still see making the team. It's just they're going to be in a lower role. Yeah. I'd say tier six is the only one where we're like, they're in a lower role. That also means that they're probably not going to be on the team. <laughs> so to be in tier six in, in Wallman's case and to, to be jumping up into the lineup, I mean, we thought he wasn't. I mean, we thought Vince Dunn took his spot. Yeah. And now who's laughing? Vince Dunn's gone. Yep. Vince Dunn's out of here, boy. And Jake Wallman still got a job. So, and probably will play significant minutes this year, would be my guess. Mm-hmm. Mitch Reinke and Austin Pagansky left on to greener pastures. Eric Foley, sadly, uh, looks like his hockey career is probably done. His contract expired. Um, that's just a shame. But we won't dwell on it. Now we have. Six tiers. Do we want to read the tiers and then get into it, or do we want to do it? I say, I say we. I say we just do it. That let's, way, people can be do it. surprised. We can make the graphic and put it up online. People can see it later. But you can already see it. It's in front of your face right now. Yeah. That's Don't right. complain. That's right. You people know it. It's already out there. Why? Why are you yelling at us? We do this for free, and you're criticizing us right now. The audacity of these people! I'll tell you, millennials, Ian, they don't know their ass from their elbow. You know, uh, I'm not a millennial, and you're not a millennial, so you know we 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 got that going for us. Except we both are. Um, I was reading something about Gen Z the other day, and I was just like. I don't believe they exist, <laughs> but you know. What are they now? Like because there's always so Gen Z is over. We're in like a new one. Yeah, that's I don't what I mean. know what it's called. It's like I've heard like AA. It's like double A because like they have to start over because they just did Z. But it's like just call it something else. Yeah, call. We're the millennials. We're not Gen Y. There was a Gen Y. No, we are Gen Y. Oh, we are. Gen X was before us. Okay. Yeah. I thought Gen Y. Okay. All right. All right. But like Gen Y is lame. You know, millennials couldn't call yeah. it Gen Y. That's what makes us millennials. Yeah. We're like, we're like Gen we're not, Y. We're not settling for Gen Y. Let's think of something I don't fit catchy. your box, Dad. That's right. <laughs> That's right. It's no. not a phase, Dad. This is who I am. It's a chunky. <laughs> Dad. Uh, <laughs> you little fuck. Yeah. That's right. Um... You remember how how I told you uh, about the announcement uh, that Steve Dangle is supposed to yeah. make? Uh, so, the announcement. The new episode will be up pretty late. We're talking 2.30 to 3 a.m. Eastern. But it'll be there in the morning and it'll be wonderful. Can't wait. They didn't get that. They, the, the announcement's a lie. Oh, my God. The announcement I is... know it's just going to be like new podcasts they're creating mm-hmm. for other people in the network or whatever. Because it's now the... I don't know if you've noticed this. It's the Steve Dangle Podcast Network, SDPN. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, that's fine. Can but I like, be real honest? The graphic for that, the graphic for SDPN is real plain and lame. I it? mean, don't go crazy with oh, this, but also yeah, it's, it's just like lame. Oh, uh, pass this along to your father in case you don't listen. Uh, 
Kurt Price gave very kind comments to our uh, graphic, our oh, logo. Yeah. Said it looked very professional and looked great. Was one of the reasons he liked our podcast. And he's also a graphic designer. So oh, yeah. there you go. Hey, that's what draw if it draws Tell your the people father. in. It's how all you suckers ended up yeah. here. So deal with it. <laughs> all right, let's dig into it. <laughs> Tier one. If you were expecting anyone here, you weren't paying attention. We don't have anybody. We're never so going to have anybody until we friggin' blow it this year and get Shane Wright or whatever his name is. Yeah. I can never remember. Is it Shane Wright? Yeah. So. Okay. What happened to Shane Prince? I always want to say Shane Prince. Tier two. I, I've been waiting all week to talk about can, can we, beautiful baby Can we talk boy. about Scott Perunovich to you? And I've been dying to talk about Scott Perunovich with you all week, all right? Scott Perunovich, left-handed defenseman who plays the right side but played both sides in Traverse City. 45th overall pick in 2018, currently with the Springfield Thunderbirds, but not for long. He went to the University of Minnesota Duluth where he... Three-peated, I believe, as national champions and would have four-peated, except probably, except the COVID ended his last season there. He was the captain. He won the Hobie Baker Award, which is like the college Heisman. And even despite all that, those accolades, I had a very tenuative understanding of how good this player was. Mm. I felt positive about him, but he's undersized. And you don't know, is he just like a Vince Dunn who's not all that good? Ian... I'm not breaking news to anybody who's been paying attention the last week. This kid is a friggin' star in the making. This kid was phenomenal. Every time he touched the puck, your eye was drawn to him. He just looked so damn good that entire tournament. Sure, he made a couple mistakes, but he made so many plays that were just like jaw-dropping. He skated around the zone. He held the line like a superstar. He made passes that nobody else on the on the ice would have even had the audacity to attempt, and he made him look great. There were a couple times he fixed his own mistakes, where there was one time in particular... He kind of crashed the net shorthanded, which he shouldn't have done, and he lost the puck. And by the time they got to the other end, he was there and just intercepted their pass like it was nothing. And that was just the end of their attack. He is so good. And um, I think what really stood out to me, obviously, he's got the speed. He's got the puck control. He's got the passing. He's even got a decent shot. His hockey IQ is very high, which is just kind of a standard line for Blues players. And, you know, it means nothing. You can say that about anyone. That's that's what you say about players that don't have other discernible skills, but you feel like they're still good, you know? Mm. But the thing that really <laughs> got me was his vision for the game, which is, you know, kind of related to hockey IQ. But even I, and while we go through this whole list, I wanted to be very clear i don't claim to be any sort of expert scout or have sort of an inside track or super knowledge of what makes a good hockey player but even i could tell that this guy was like reading plays before they developed and he just already was where plays were gonna be you know and that's what like with him it's like another vince dunn situation or even a tory krug Obviously, he's smaller and he's a lefty, so he gets compared to both those guys. And it's like, okay, he's probably going to be very good offensively, but is he going to have the defensive prowess to keep up? I have no qualms about that now. Uh, my biggest qualm with him is Craig Berube. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but I just want to say, I want to put this in perspective um, because I've been up to the Travis City Prospect Tournament three years now, uh, and 
just because of the nature of how the teams that go there regularly have performed lately, I have, let's just say, gotten to see a lot of top draft picks. <laughs> uh, in the time I've been up there, the list of players that I've seen play up there includes Miro Haskinen, Capo Caco, Philip Zadina, Moritz Sater, Adam Boquist, Andrei Svechnikov, Kirby Doc, Nick Robertson, uh, the goalies, Igor Shesterkin and Elvis Merzlikens, and uh, for the Blues, Robert Thomas, Jordan Cairo, and Quim Costin. I've seen all of those guys play out there, and there has only been one other player that I've seen who looked as dominant, as consistently, and as um, game-changing every time he touched the puck, and as head and shoulders above his peers on the ice there, um, as... Scott Prunovich did this week, and that guy was Adam Fox, and he just won uh, a Norris Trophy two years after I saw him doing that at uh, Traverse City. Now, I'm obviously not saying Prunovich is Fox or that he's a future Norris Trophy winner, but I am saying like I there's a tendency to say, well, it's a prospect tournament. What can it really tell you? Mm-hmm. What can you really learn? He's not playing against NHL players. He's playing against his peers. And I know all that. And I'm just saying, even grading on that curve, he scaled. He scored an incredible score in my eyes. You know, like, I think he was just, he was just head and shoulders above anyone else there. And if you don't believe me, you might believe Scott Wheeler, the senior prospect writer for The Athletic, or this junior. I don't know which of him or Pronman is senior. But he said, if there was an award for the best player in the tournament, Perunovic, who played both sides throughout, I think it should be noted, would have had my vote. You expect him to look like a star out there, and he did. He dictated inside the offensive zone with his control of the puck and his ability to adjust to coverage and find lanes. Nobody could take the puck off him, and when they tried, he'd just step past them and create into the space they chased out of. On exits, it was wait, 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 boom, all week. He sliced up traffic. He had the puck on a string. He made plays through seams on most shifts even under pressure inside the defensive zone with guys all over him and leaning on him he found ways to spin off and create exits with his feet that i thought weren't there his edge work really popped through his crossovers and opening up onto his heels he shouldn't be in has to earn it territory for me he should be we have to find a way to make room for him even at the expense of a veteran territory um i've never i've never read a prospect analyst speak that I think uh, that like universally positive way about a player. I just say I think especially the end where it's like normally it'll be like you know they're really gonna be fighting for a spot. You mm-hmm. know we'll see what happens, but they're gonna put up a hell of a fight. And it's like no, you should move someone as the team to give this guy space. <laughs> yeah. Um, if mean, it if you are keeping Robert Bortuzzo for another year at the expense of having Scott Perinovich on your roster, you're an idiot. Well, that's You're an a, idiot. Well, that's the thing I was going to say. Is like it's and a, he can play both sides, too. He's yeah. very comfortable. I mean, he played mostly the right side at, at Duluth, so he's very comfortable on his quote-unquote offhand. Yeah, if you're if you're afraid of you know him being a smaller guy and how he's going to be on defense and you know he's going to be in the NHL for the first time, then play him on that third pairing and get him some, some reps in the NHL, though, because I've seen a lot of like, well, send him down to Springfield. He'll be like number one defenseman there. He'll get lots of time. Like, that's great and all, but it seems like... I get the AHL is different than playing in college or even playing the Traverse City tournament, but it's like, see what he can do at this level 
And there's no harm, no foul, because you can just put them right back in the AHL if it's not working out. It's not like you have to give them a nine-game trial or whatever it is, you know, as a junior and be like, well, I don't know, do we burn a year of his contract? Just see. Just see. I really hope they do. But, like, to your points, though, watching watching um, the Blues play on YouTube and everything, he just looked so much more confident than every other player out there. And it just felt like there was, like, an NHL player among all these other players. And especially as defenseman, like, who gets to dictate the play, it kind of felt like he was just sort of like, I'll be here and I'll pass it and stuff, but I'm not going to, like... I'm not going to try and, like, blow by these guys because it might just look embarrassing. Like, he still obviously did a lot to stand out, but, like, it was one of those things where, like, I feel like you have even more to give than what you're giving here, and I can tell that you're almost, like, sort of have to hold back given that, like, the people around you aren't as good as you are, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I can't make this great pass and do all this other stuff if they don't know where they need to be, and it's like... That's what I want to see. I want to see if you just seamlessly put him in the NHL as a third pairing guy and it just work, you know, you start him in the offensive zone, whatever, 75% of the time. And I could see it just, I don't know, I could see him working out and it being seamless. Like, do you remember when they brought in like Preco and Edmondson and like they had some hiccups, but I do definitely remember Preco just kind of seeming like you've always been in the mm-hmm. NHL. And like, and I think Prunovich is more impressive, I guess, especially offensively at this point than Preco is. I just want to see, I want to see that because it would feel so good. Doug Armstrong had some quotes. I'll see if I can find them real quickly too about how good he looked. And I don't, you know, I'm really, I'm trying to be cautious about not, not overhyping this guy. Yeah. yeah. But he looks so freaking good. Like, and to me, it's like, you always, you always kind of say, well, you we're going to give this guy every opportunity to make the team. That's what you kind of say about um about a player in general, you know, mm-hmm. as like or about a young player, you always say we're going to give him every opportunity to make this team. I don't I think you just have to assume this guy's on this team and you only take him off if he loses it. He said after the first game, I thought he was the best player on both teams tonight. He was fantastic with the puck, his patience, his ability to look guys off. What a great first step for him today. Just a fantastic first step. I was really happy for him. And this is a point I forgot to emphasize. This dude hasn't played hockey for like 18 months. He finished mm. the college season with covid and he didn't get to play and then he started the last season and had the shoulder surgery and missed a whole year so the dude hasn't played hockey and he showed no signs of rust which means he's either working hard or he's just that naturally gifted but i just think to me and this is the last super positive thing i'll say but like in hindsight now i feel like he's part of the reason that we didn't go out and make another top four move mm. is like this dude's a top four defenseman. Well, so, so and you maybe put, you, maybe you, you know, kind of like you're sort of walking into the water and you splash your legs and you walk in step by step and adjust. And maybe you put him on the third line to get his feet wet in the NHL. But like, I don't think he's going to be there for long. He can play alongside any of these guys on either hand. And I don't think he's a defensive liability. I really don't. My concern is Craig Berube. Because I don't trust him with young players and small speed guys, but that's really his only obstacle now. Sorry, you were gonna say something. I was just I just like, oh no, I was just gonna say like you're right. Like they have to make space for him, or make sense that they didn't make a move then because we talked about it nonstop 
like even when they were going to lose Dunn and they did, it was like there's just we have so many defensemen that can play in the NHL between Mikola and Wallman. At the time we had Ranky, and it was just like and 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 Prunovich. It was like we have too many um, options at this point, and you can't you can't bring in another one to clog mm-hmm. it up even more. And I think it makes even more sense with the way that Prunovich is looking. Yeah, um, it'll be it'll be interesting because I really. I really think he's got to be here. I just don't know how he can't be. I think it's laughable to send him to the AHL and have... If your bottom three are going to be Scandella, Bertuzzo, and Wallman, and you're going to have Scott Perunovich earning his shot in the AHL, it's just like, come on. That's what I mean. You could punt any of those guys. You can't tell (laughs) me he's not already better than all three of those guys. You know? It's not... It's Quim Costin at least has competition up and down the lineup, but like Scott Perunovich doesn't. They were fine. So, they were fine running Krug and Dunn. I mean, not on the same pairing, mind you, but you know, like two smaller guys. Mm-hmm. And you, Dunn's gone now, so it's like you're totally fine running two smaller dudes. Yeah, I don't. I don't see it as an issue. Yeah. So tier three. These are your potential studs, your potential starters, top pairing, top six kind of guys. Um, we have Joel Hofer in there. Uh, Joel Hofer is the big six foot six, I believe. Goalie, 2018, round four selection, 107 overall. He will be with the Thunderbirds this year uh, in a WHL career with the Winterhawks. And who did he play for before them? Um, let me see real quick. We drafted him out of... Wait for wait for it the swift current broncos um nailed it (laughs) yeah nobody even noticed that i googled that uh joel hover obviously his coming out party was the world junior championship in 2019-20 where he was called into action after not really being expected to star there um and had six games uh a 130 gaa 946 save percentage Five wins in six games, with the sixth being mop-up duty, and was the player of the tournament and goalie of the tournament and all that good stuff. Uh, didn't have a great year with the Utica Comets last year, um, but you know has everything that you kind of want for um, a goalie. He's got the size. He's got good reflexes. What game did he play in? He in put, So City? he started the first one. He played the first one, and then he mopped up in the last one. Uh, he looked pretty good. The thing I worry about with him is kind of rebound control. I saw a lot of pucks that he didn't really cover or maintain. Mm. Um, but, you know, that could be rust. That could be a lot of stuff. Um, I certainly wasn't too worried about him. I don't think he looked amazing in the first game, but I don't think he looked bad either, and I think... He's one of those guys. What age is he right now? He's 21. 21. Yeah. So, you know, you don't expect a goalie to be in the NHL anytime soon anyway at 21. So, like, just give him time and, and he'll get there, I think. Um, Scott, Scott Promman. Corey Promman said of him, 
Uh, Hofer didn't have great statistical season, but it was only a 10-game sample, and he looked better than his numbers suggested, so I'm not willing to move off my previous projection much. I still see a good-sized goaltender with tremendous sense and a polished technique. He isn't the quickest size to side, side to side, but he looks smooth in his movements, using a good butterfly in his size to take up a lot of the net. His reads are excellent, rarely seeming out of position and able to make a lot of tough saves in the high percentage area. He may never be a true top 20 goalie in the league, but I could see a solid one-two tandem option. Um, and I think that that feels right. I mean, I think that's that's totally fine and good to have in your in your system. And it seems like the Blues have a lot of like halfway decent goalie prospects in their system. Like honestly, even some of our lower tier guys seem like they had decent seasons in the last year or two. So I'm I think that's actually the position I'm like the most confident in for the Blues is goalie. I feel like we have enough there, and we can move other stuff around in case anyone didn't pan out and like. You can miss on a few because we have, like, I think, like, four or something like that. Surprisingly, mm-hmm. didn't take one this season, right? Because it seems like we always take one mid-draft. Um, but that's probably because we actually have, like, four in the system at this point. Yeah. So, uh, especially and with who's still graduating, too, in fact. So, yeah, I mean, I think, like you said, hope for someone that, or like Wheeler said, um, that could be a good tandem guy. Yeah. Um, with... Uh... Moving on to Quim Costin, I think we all know his story and his positioning. Had, stinky. <laughs> stinky. Uh, had kind of a breakout season a little bit with Avangard Omsk in the KHL, won the Gagarin Cup over there. Didn't have a lot of points, um, but still played pretty well. And then came and had the two uh, games in the NHL at the end of the season. Didn't factor in the playoffs at all, which baffled a lot of people. I don't know with him. I just, I'm not confident right now that he's got a, a future on the team because I really do think we're kind of in a place where it's now or never. Um, yeah, I do think it is something too, right? Where we put him at tier three because I think if he succeeds on this team, he's like a good top nine guy. Yeah. But if he doesn't, then he's just not on the team. Right. Like, he's, I don't see him settling into like a Barbashev role or like a fourth line guy that's, you know, a character dude. Like, he's either needs to be top nine or he's just not here. And so mm-hmm. it does worry me a little bit that we have tried him and it's been okay. And then we haven't gone back to him. Like, I get that a lot of fans could be like, well, you're not giving him a shot. But I also kind of see it as a team that's like, well, we don't really want to give him a... We feel like we did and we didn't like what we saw. Yeah. And therefore, we're not giving him much of one anymore. Um, Yeah. We'll see. I mean, this really is... I really think this year is like his last year on the prospect pyramid because he graduates and is used plenty of this Mm -hmm. year. Or like we said, he's just not here. Yeah, I think he's a guy that I look at and I think... I feel like with Perunovic, you have to give him a, sh- you have to expect to give him a spot because he's just that good. With Costin, it's like I don't know how you justify not giving him a spot and still pretending that you have a high future for him. <laughs> you know, like yeah. if you can't find a spot for him in your top nine, then let's just not pretend he's a top that he's a future star for this team. Um, I think people really hold on to the fact that he was drafted in the first round, mm-hmm. too. And that's just like, the, ooh. Very light. Yeah. The first 31st pick of the first round. That's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people see that, and they see a Russian guy, and we had Tarasenko and all that stuff, and like, he could, he could be really good. And it's like, yeah, that's what I thought, too, when we drafted him. Like, I don't think you're wrong for thinking of that out the gate, but 
it just it hasn't really been put together. Like he's a big, that's another thing. He's a big body and people are like, oh, he's a power forward. And I'm like, I don't know if that I've seen him use that much either. Mm-hmm. So you just, you need to see him get time and you need to see something more impressive than skating fast, I guess. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Agreed. So I think of all of these prospects, it's arguably the biggest season for him. Mm-hmm. Um, just because it really is sort of make or break in terms of where he is long term. Jake Neighbors was our first round draft pick in 2020, number 26 from the Edmonton Oil Kings, a player who at the time neither of us were all that impressed by. Um, and I think we're eating our words a little bit. I would mm-hmm. say uh, he had a really impressive season, although albeit abbreviated with the Oil Kings this year, had 33 points in 19 games. He played alongside, uh, is it Dylan Gunther, who I believe, uh, yeah, he was an Oil Kings, and I think he ended up with the Coyotes. Yes. Um, So there was a lot of kind of like, who's making who, but I think Gunther left either for like the World Juniors or something, and and that was when uh, Neighbors was at his best uh, without him there. So uh, this is Elite Prospect's from his 2020 draft guide, he said he boasts playmaking ability, especially off the boards, has a decent motor with solid defensive fundamentals, and is sturdier than a refrigerator. <laughs> Opposition defenders step up on him, then crumble to the ice. He's a brick wall, and a brick wall who can set up to teammates with some pace and deception has value. Uh, and then Scott Wheeler said, Neighbors spent a good chunk of the tournament being a pest. Uh, his skating remains just okay, which is a bit of concern because it's going to be hard for him to reach his potential without a separation gear. He's still found ways to keep pucks and make things happen on the wall in the interior, but that's going to get harder at higher levels if he doesn't get a little quicker in short bursts. I always think of skating as like you can't improve it, but you obviously can, you know? Mm. But it's it's kind of funny to hear people like, well, he could get better at this. And I'm like, no, he's 19. He's as good a skater as I'll ever be. I always think like you might not be able to get like, I don't know. I guess he's talking about having a gear, right? But I feel like you're never going to be able to really develop a whole other gear. Right. It's almost like you can just kind of make you what can't you have get better. faster necessarily, but you can improve your technique. You yeah, know? exactly. Exactly. Um, and that's the thing that, like, that's the number one thing I couldn't even pretend to know about in terms of scouting. So I just let the experts handle that. Colton Ellis has played with Ramuski and Charlottetown in the uh, Q. QMJHL. He was a third round pick in 2019. Uh, he will also be with the Thunderbirds this year. Uh, and he is uh, had a 178 goals against average and a 926 save percentage in 24 games with the uh, Islanders this year and was 23-1-0. I think he set was it like a QMJHL shutout record or oh, streak or right, something. Yeah. Um, I forgot about that. He played the middle game of the three in Traverse City, and I would say he looked the best of our goalies, but that was also the team's best game. So I'm not, I'm really not reading into anything I saw at Traverse City with the goalies too much. But I think he looks good. Uh, I believe he's on the smaller side compared to um, Hofer, although compared to Hofer pretty much everyone is. Um, but I think that's a little bit of a concern with him as he's only 6'1". Um, but, you know, I think that's that's not something I'm too concerned about 
personally? How do I don't know? How do you feel about the goalies that we have? And I mean, I think kind of separating those two. I mean, I feel pretty good. I, like you said, I think they those two are the strongest ones that we have mm-hmm. right now, and it's hard to separate them without knowing too much about them. But um, you know, if you're a smaller goalie, I I still wanna I wanna see. I still want to see what you got. You know, yeah. if, if uh, Darren Pang in a much different generation can be a goalie, then anyone can be a goalie. <laughs> um, and, you know, just being smaller, obviously you take up less space, but if you can make up for it in technique and being in the right place at the right time, then, again, that's no problem. Yeah. Yeah, and I think with um, you, I think originally, not to call you out, but you originally, you originally had... Uh, Ellis a tier lower and I bumped him up I think that was the only spot I moved anyone was just because I feel like it's pretty hard to distinguish between those two which one is the better one you know between Hofer and Ellis Hofer has the size so he gets a little more um, a little more coverage maybe but to me they're pretty close and I think it'll be interesting to see how they both develop Zachary Bolduck is our draftee from this year. Uh, there's some interesting coverage on him that we'll read. He played with Ramuski last year, but was uh, traded in a huge deal to the Quebec Rimpar um, from. Wow, yeah. I'm gonna say Rampart. Um, but uh, that is Patrick Waugh's team, as we'll discuss here in a minute. Bulldog's tools give him the upper hand in downhill battles. When defenders stand flat-footed to rush him or rush him, he dangles through them with the rapid stick-handling motions. And when given an open shooting lane, he can take a couple of steps, kick a leg back, and sling pucks past the goalie. Um, actually, was the uh, longest section of, of Scott Wheeler's article was the Bulldog section, even <laughs> though he didn't play. He said Bulldog or Bulduke. I've heard Bulduke a lot, so maybe it's that. Traveled with the team to Traverse City, but didn't play due to injury. It's been a busy few months for him. There was the draft, then there was Calgary for Hockey Canada's under-20 camp, where he was tremendous. Then there was a blockbuster QMJHL trade that sent him from Ramuski, where he uh, played the last season to Patrick Waugh's Quebec Rimparts. Uh, I connected with Waugh earlier in the week for his early impressions of Bulldog and his decision to trade for him. Here's what he said. In his midget draft year, we liked him a lot, and we thought he was one of the top players in that draft, but wanted to keep his options open, so we decided to draft Nathan Gaucher instead. But we had very high we had him very high on our list, so we've always felt he was a very good fit for us. He's a very skilled player. He's an excellent skater. He's got a really good shot. He moves the puck well. We felt he could play on our top line with Theo Rochette and Christopher Farmer, a classic French-Canadian name, Chris Farmer. Um, And we were looking for a player who could play two years for us. Zach is exactly all of the things we were looking for, and so far I've been very impressed with him because he's very eager to learn the game, the details of the game, and he's very receptive. I like his skating and his passing. He sees the ice very well, but he's a very good shooter above all else. He's got a very good shot. He's already scoring one-timer goals off side-to-side passes on the power play. He can really shoot it. Uh, he also has Jackets prospect James Malatesta, who plays for the Rim Parts, uh, uh, sorry, the Rim Parts, uh, <laughs> and played against Volduk, Volduk growing up with him. 
uh, with Team Quebec for his take on his new junior teammate. He said, he's a great player. I was pumped when I heard the news. I think he brings a lot of things to the team. He's a hard worker who has a lot of skill. He'll help us out on the power play and the PK because he's just a reliable player all around. Very excited to watch him and learn about his development more this year. Uh, so that is our Tier 3. Once again, that was Hofer, Costin, and this is in no particular order, Neighbors, Ellis, and Bolduke. Um, I feel like that's better than it was last year. Obviously, Bolduke's been moved there. Ellis has been moved out there. I feel a lot better about Neighbors than I did. I think our pipeline feels better than it did last year because I now think Perunovic is potentially a star. I feel a lot better about Neighbors, and I like Bolduke, even though our initial reactions were kind of bleh. Mm-hmm. Um, looking back on it, that was more because there were other players that I really liked that were still around that ended up being drafted much later. So, you know, who knows? Yeah, but, I, I think overall doing this pyramid, it feels a little more filled out. Yeah. It feels, we might have any of the top-end talent, but it still feels like there are people coming that yeah. can contribute. Tier 4 is full of guys that we think could be contributors. Um, some of these guys won't make the NHL. Some of them will be better than we even think they might be, probably. Uh, but let's run through them. It's already late. But you know what? We keep giving it to the people. We give it good a and pyramid, hard. A, <laughs> we sure do. Yeah. The pyramid, uh, you know, you start at the top and it gets fatter at the bottom. That's so right. That's, that's the thick part now. That's right. That's what the Egyptians said. <laughs> Here comes the thick part. Here comes the thick part. Because they already they always built them from the top down, too. Yeah, yeah. You know, like uh, you got like a, a snowman that you're building on like a toothpick and you just had the head at the top from the beginning. Like that's what you're doing with uh, nobody knows this analogy anyway uh nikita alexandrov is garbage garbage. that's a good idea dump it (laughs) tier four solid nikita alexandrov is solid although he was not in traverse city he played last year with cuckoo in liga in finland um but also played for the utica utica commons for seven games where he put out five points that was the better part of his season. Um, he is—he uh, was one of the more notable names on the Blues roster, and he only played in two games. I thought he was invisible in his first game and really good in his second. I don't think he was invisible. I think it was god-awful rotten in his first game. Oh, no. But I heard, I don't mean to drop oh, a name here, but in go. a little conversation with Jim Thomas, uh, we were told that he had a groin injury that he was dealing with, so I'm willing to write it off for that. I don't know how I feel about Alexandrov. I think he's maybe a middle six center who's can be a power play guy, um, but I'm just not convinced if he'll quite blossom into that yet. So he's gonna. It's gonna be really important to watch him in the AHL this year. I think he's got a lot to prove for sure. Yeah, he was one of those guys that being drafted. I think he must have been our first six, draft pick sixty-two in overall. He yeah. was the first. Yeah, our first overall draft pick. But but I remember thinking, you know, you always want to start thinking highly of your. Your earlier picks, and this is our earliest pick that year. Yeah. Like, yeah, he'll be he'll be pretty good. Yeah, and then every every year since, it's kind of like, eh, yeah. See, I mean, he was our see. earliest pick, but we got to remember that it was basically a third round pick. Yeah, right, you right. know, so like, it's got to be fair to him. Tyler, he's a, he's a real uh, Christian. Whatever we had, Dorek? no, didn't we? We had like two dudes that just like completely went away. I remember thinking, oh, no, um, they could be good. Something helped. Philip helped. Philip helped, and the the Dana or it was the like Christian Christiansen. 
Craig Christensen. Yeah, there Nikolai you go. Craig Christensen. Well, damn, look at you. <laughs> uh, Tyler Tucker was uh, a seventh round pick, 200 overall, the big 200. Uh, had a breakout season in 2018. Uh, or 2019 with the um, first of the Barry Colts and the Flint Firebirds where he showed an offensive prowess with slightly over a point per game that he'd never been expected to have before. Uh, He played at Utica last year, didn't look great offensively, but uh, didn't look bad defensively. And I think he's going to, I think he will be a bottom six guy in the NHL eventually or bottom pairing Mm -hmm. guy rather. Um, He found his way into the penalty box too much for Scott Wheeler's liking and crossed the line repeatedly. If there was a shove to give or a face to grab, he did. That's part of this game. He wants to play with a certain presence out there, but he needs to be more disciplined. When he was, he looked strong and balanced on his skates. He took up space and he was effective. Uh, How do you feel about Tucker? I mean, I anyone that's drafted that late, I want to see succeed for sure. And he seems to have grabbed the eye of like Blues management and everything. I mean, you hear his name band like bandied around a lot more mm-hmm. than like any other player we ever drafted <laughs> in the seventh round. So I think he'll, like you said, I think he'll get a look or some time eventually with yeah. the Blues or or some organization as a bottom six guy. Like I don't mind again that there's he's a tougher guy. You have to show that even at a even in Traverse City, you know. Mm-hmm. I know that there were some uh, some Detroit fans that were pissed off about the Detroit game because the Blues were running around and shoving people and pushing people, and you know that's not what this tournament's about. This tournament's about you know young prospects and blah blah blah. I was like, yeah, and this prospect's deal is he shoves people. <laughs> that's kind of his thing. He wants to show, hey, look at me sticking up for my team. You want this on your team, you know? Eventually, I'll be in the NHL, and this is what I can do. So. I, I mean, I like his game. It sounds like they always say, you know, he's a seventh rounder, so he's he's still raw, you mm. know. But I think that sounds like that's also just part of his game as being kind of a little more emotional and yeah. raw, as you will. So it'll be interesting. I'll I'll be interested to see how he does um, in Springfield. I think with a lot of these guys too, because now you're no longer loaned out and all over the place. We can finally do a uh, looking at the farm because last year the farm was like twenty teams. That's right. It'll be exciting. I'm excited. Fans are excited. Everyone's excited. Matthew (laughs) Kessel, the 21-year-old right-handed defenseman at University of Massachusetts, a.k.a. UMass, was a fifth-round pick in 2020. That draft seems like it was yesterday. I realize it's two drafts ago, but I was like, yeah, we just drafted Matthew Kessel. Uh, 23 points in 29 games there this year. I think he's climbing a little bit. Corey Promen said in his pipeline rankings, Kessel took a big step as a player last season, becoming an important piece for a team that won a national title. He's not a flashy player in terms of his mobility and skill level, but he's a good-sized right-handed shot defenseman who can make a strong outlet pass and make stops due to his reach and sense. His main offensive weapon is a hard point shot that should be able to beat pro goaltenders. I don't see a ton of offense from him at higher levels, but given he can move pucks fine, I see enough of a two-way game to become a third-pair defenseman. So there you go. Another guy with an NHL shot. Uh, Hugh McGing. Mm. Hugh McGing has my heart. Number one in our I don't hearts. know if he ever has a spot in the NHL, but God, he has my heart. We uh, are Hugh McGing stands. That's right. Uh, standout career at Western Michigan University. Wore the captain uh, badge in at least his last season. 138th overall pick in 2018. That's the fifth round, folks. He played in the AHL last year, three goals in 23 games and assist. Um, 
to top that off. He's got a really nice shot, though. That stood out to me at the tournament. And indeed, uh, Scott Wheeler says, McGing ripped a high glove wrister from the left wing circle on Saturday on the power play. His curl and drag wrister looked really dangerous, too. The puck comes off his blade quickly and with some deception. He's going to score some goals in the AHL in a more prominent th- role this year, I'd guess. I'm not sure whether he's got NHL upside, but he's a much player, better player than his numbers last year showed. Um, I love Huma Gang. He's feisty as hell. He's fast. He's a really fast skater. Um, I hope he gets a shot, but who knows? Matthias Laferriere, uh, played physical and drove into bodies and space to go right at guys in control, but I was expecting a little more from him offensively. His best game was his last, says Scott Wheeler. And it'll be his last. He was the, uh, 169th. Pick in the sixth round in 2018, uh, played with the Blainville Boisbrand Armada in the QMJHL last season. I'm really loving these QMJHL names, Ian. I'm really going for it tonight. Uh, 39 points in 30 games. I think he will be with Springfield this year. It's going to be an interesting year because a lot of these names we've known for a while are going to be Thunderbirds, mm-hmm. um, and it's going to be an actual collective team. So like you said, it's going to be a lot of fun to actually be able to look in on them. Um, Keon Washkarak, he's another player who has my heart. Um, and he also reminds you what to wash. Yeah, that's right. Wash or crack. <laughs> crack and pits. Come on. Uh, this is gnarly. You know, know, you ever yeah. wake you ever wake up and you're like, shit, I got a shower because yeah. I got to be somewhere in like two minutes. Yeah. And it's like you just do the quick, yep. you get wet and you just bang, bang, bang. <laughs> you get the crevices and you go. Yep, that's right. Everybody's done it. Then people, you know, you're sitting in class and they're like, you know, I can tell that at least you washed your crevices. <laughs> And you go, I appreciate that. Your hips smell a little funky, but you're pit, yeah. you're pitting your crack. Your it's knees grow. That's right. Uh, <laughs> but the back of your knee, fantastic. Wash Karak played in uh, Slovakia last year. He played with the Mississauga Steelheads for two years for his OHL career. Uh, had a more than a point per game in his last season there. He is a player that won a coaches poll for the hardest working ohl player two years in a row i believe uh scott wheeler says wash surprised me with his inventiveness and anticipation his good lateral skating through sidesteps and fakes with the puck through neutral ice really showed as it usually does too and he scored off a one-timer he still has fourth liner written all over him well thanks that's like a nice and then you, <laughs> you slam him right to the ice kiam wash will make the nhl and he will be a fan favorite here. Uh, oh, that yeah. is my projection. He is, he just like, he's one of these guys that will run through a brick wall head first, you know? And he's just going to be intolerable to play against. And I don't think he's got any more than bottom six upside. But I think he's going to do it. And I think, I think he'll be one of those guys that's like here for an oddly long time, you know, just because he like endears himself to everyone. That's kind of my projection on him. I'm not 100% confident he'll make the NHL, but if he ever does, the fans are going to absolutely love him. Um, <clears throat> we have Dylan Peterson, who I will never be able to tell apart from Tanner Dickinson, as long yes, as I <laughs> yes. they were drafted in the same year. I'm never going to know any difference between them. Uh, Dylan Peterson is the center 2020 third round pick from Boston University had six points in 16 games there last year. He was a USNDTP product as well. 
um, US NTDP, excuse me. His draft guide from Elite Prospects in 2020 said Peterson does a pretty good job of setting up shots as the net front, and he's a lot of handle from that position. He's a lot to handle from that position. That makes more sense. Once he's established at the offensive zone, he recognizes good outlets and finds teammates nicely. Like many players his size, uh, Peterson is still coming to terms with the immense advantages afforded him by his massive frame. Um, You're saying I couldn't just shove people around if I was smaller? Yeah. i got to come to terms with them. I was surprised to see Pronman actually has him um, as the sixth-ranked prospect in our pipeline, which I don't know. Uh, Peterson is a very intriguing athlete as a six-foot-four forward who skates well for his size, has very good hands, and can finish plays. He's not afraid to use his size in terms of physicality and works off the puck, killing penalties for BU. This offensive consistency has never really been there for Peterson, likely given his sense isn't the offense... Sorry, I butchered this sentence. sentence. (laughs) The offensive consistency has never really been there for Peterson, likely given his sense isn't the best and his game is played in straight lines as opposed to to having a lot of playmaking ability. So, on second reading, I believe Corey Promman butchered that sentence. There's enough to be a regular bottom six player with the upside to play higher if everything goes right in his development. Um, good. Good for him. He wasn't at uh, Traverse City as, as college players never are because they've already started their college season. Um, uh, but that's why, uh, that's why. I wondered about that. But... Um, you know, he's definitely one to watch and one to follow. If you get to see any college hockey on ESPN, Boston BU will probably be on there a fair amount, I think, and uh, check him out. We've got Simon Robertson with two S's from Skeleta Ake. Is that's how I assume they pronounce it? Uh, <laughs> he pushes his top hand from his body. And fully engages the lever motion down force on his stick for a mechanically clean shot with plenty of zip and accuracy. That's what Elite Prospects has to say about him. Robertson couples that shot with savvy off-the-puck timing to make him a consistent scoring threat in the offensive zone. So for... uh, This is the opposite of Muffin. All he's known for is his shot. He's got a laser. Uh, I think, yeah, he's number seven according to Promman. And... uh, he says, Robertson impressed in the Swedish junior level before the season was canceled. His pro and U18 worlds had good flashes, but not consistency. Very good stick skills, is able to deke through checks frequently and create a lot of chances with his skill. He can create off the perimeter with his playmaking, finding seams and making creative passes. But his shot is more dangerous as a legit mid-range weapon to pick corners. Robertson works off the puck and creates turnovers with his effort. His main flaw for the NHL is the lack of NHL speed and ability to pull away from opponents he projects as a bottom six nhl winger but he said that his uh puck skills hockey sense and compete were average and his shot is above average oh real b ian we've moved on to tier five would you like to walk us through tier five no um, i mean i can continue no 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 tier five is serviceable yeah which means they will service us (laughs) or perhaps not wow um dakota joshua at the top here, he center, was, 25. He was, he was at Traverse City for reasons. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure. I bet he was the oldest player at this tournament by at least two full years. Yeah, that's what I mean. He's 25. He's older than Kairu and Thomas and uh-huh. a lot of the guys. 
uh, that would be on this team anyways. So he's really, you could argue as a graduate from the prospect pyramid, but we kept him on here because he only ended up in 12 NHL games. Yeah, he's new. He's new to us, right? Right. Uh, Drafted in 2014, round five, number 128 by the Toronto Maple Leafs. I believe they just didn't sign him, and then we ended up signing him. Uh, he'll be with the Thunderbirds. I, he'll probably do some time with the Blues, of course. Um, this is what, Promen, Promen, or is this Promen or Wheeler? Who wrote all this? Uh, this is Wheeler. Wheeler, who wrote about Joshua. Joshua looked like a 25-year-old playing against kids. Between his skating and his strength over pucks, Nobody wanted to engage with him when he had possession along the wall. He did a good job applying pressure on the forecheck to force turnovers, too. He's the kind of player who shouldn't be in the tournament at this stage. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, correct. It's not wrong. It's not wrong. <laughs> I mean, he won't be on the pyramid next year. Yeah. Who knows if he'll even be here at all. But, like, you know, he's, he was fine. He scored a goal with his butt last year. It was great. Yeah. It was a good time. Kyle Clifford scored a goal off his butt. The weirdest scoring combination of the year, to be sure. Of all of the players on this pyramid, other than maybe Prunovich, this is the guy you're most likely to see this year. That's right. <laughs> uh, so, you know, put that in your hat. Uh, Alexei Torovchenko, center 22, drafted in 2017, number 113, be with the Thunderbirds uh, this year. He played for the Rampage when the Blues were using that as their AHL team. <laughs> you remember that? <laughs> That's like seven AHL teams ago. <laughs> Uh, two years ago, he played on loan with the Kunlun Red Star. That's a real place. That's not Shang-Chi's home. <laughs> um, oh, boy. Uh, 45 games played, seven goals, four assists for 11 points over there. Uh, Torpchenko, interesting to me because I had high hopes. Those hopes are, <laughs> are disappearing quickly. Uh, Wheeler had to say Torpchenko played with his usual rangy speed. And looked overpowering physically at times, but the lack of results that have always come with his game were also there. He's confounding. He looks good. I'm still not sure he is good. That's what I also remember hearing was like, oh, he plays in straight lines, very, you know, right to the net. And I was like, oh, that sounds really good. That sounds like what you want. You don't want all your fancy, you know, that's a Craig Ruby type. Don't want all that fancy crap. But apparently, even with all of that work, he cannot finish. This is not deceptive enough to be a finisher. Um, like I said, I wanted, I wanted more out of him. Doesn't sound, doesn't sound promising. Yeah. I mean, he didn't look great at the tournament and I, I'm kind of in that same spot where it's like, I just don't think he's probably an NHL or at this point, I think he probably goes back to the KHL when his contract's done and then we'd forget he ever happened, but I would love to be wrong. I'd love to see something I haven't seen yet, but that's just where I'm at right now. Yeah. Next we have Leo Loof. Oh Yeah. A left-handed defenseman, uh, 19 years old, drafted in 2020, number 88. He'll be playing for Isles. I, it's like uh, the Princess Bride actor. I don't know how to pronounce that. Yeah. Carrie It's in Finland. Yeah. Um, Even though he's Finnish? Is he Finnish? I he's, got, he's got to be. Yeah. With a name like Leo, Leo Luf. Luf. You're right. I thought, he Luf was, de Luf de. I thought he was maybe Swedish, but he's got to be Finnish. Don't worry. I, also, I mean, played in the Swedish league. Uh, he's played in the SHL the year before last. He is Swedish. What? From Karlstad. Isn't that but like a real But you think his city? name would be Leo Lufsen. Yes. Didn't he have a brother? Oh, Linus. Yeah. Twin brother Linus Luf. It was also no. draftable this year. No, just stop with the L's. But he didn't get drafted. Sad. Looks, looks like 
<laughs> Looks like Leo Loof is uh, doing the best of this. <laughs> uh, yeah. So let's see. He played for this the same team, Elves, um, last year for only two games. Then he played in Sweden U uh, twenty team for only six games. Had two points there, two assists not offensively gifted as it would seem or at least not in these short little spurts he was seen in uh the elite prospects 2020 nhl draft guide for when he was drafted last year said he was among the best players for fjarstad when they reached the junior 18 finals in 2019 i think that's one of the things the dwarves say in uh, age of mythology when yeah. you quick them and tell them to do something fjarstad <laughs> you go whatever man just build it uh <laughs> And he was selected as the league's best defenseman. Luf is a technically refined stick handler with poise and a sound mechanical base. He's a tough as he's tough as nails along the boards and in front of his own net, dominating his opponents with strong reads and heavy hits. I really didn't think Leo Luf would be that sort of player. I think I heard Leo Luf and I thought of like a really lanky Elias Patterson, oh, yeah. and yep. I was like, oh, that's what he is. Um, so you know, we'll see. I, there doesn't seem to be much on him. He's only nineteen. Put him in, in tier five. Seems seems totally fine. Uh, we get to another goalie next, Vadim Zarenko. Goalie twenty. Re- real quickly, yeah. Elite Prospect says both Leo and Linus are Linus are six one one seventy nine. Do you think they just weighed one of them? Yeah, yeah. Measured yeah, yeah. one of them and was like, it's, it's uh, close enough. You're the same. <laughs> I thought about the other day how like everyone is unique and everything, and like Stephen, you're the rarest. You're one of the rarest things because you're one of like six billion or whatever seven billion right but like if you're a twin you're like automatically the least rare because there's another one imagine if you're like a a sex top letter oh yeah you could be even less rare you're You're like there's just a bunch of you worthless (laughs) you're a spare part you could be replaced in a heartbeat it's true (laughs) that's <laughs> true. That's um, true. Vadim Zarenko will also be playing for Elves this year, apparently. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah. Wow, what a, what a little pair we've got over Graduating there. from the MHL, which is the right under the KHL, but yeah. there's also the VHL. Right. So is that like the ECHL? That's basically, yeah. Okay, okay. So last year, he was in both of those. He played mainly in the VHL with Dynamo Muspa. Yeah, that's no, oh, I know. no, Krasnogorsk. There you go, man. You got it. Dynamo <laughs> Krasnogorsk, where he, he actually looked pretty good 25 games, did 2.75 goals against average, a 0.922 save percentage. Looked uh, looked good when he got promoted to the MHL with the other team, 1.33 goals against average, 0.944 save percentage in three games. And even in the playoffs, shit, in the playoffs he played 13 games and he had a .939 save percentage. I know people don't score as much in the KHL and their related um, leagues over there as over here or in, in Canadian Junior, but that's still pretty good. I'd say that's that's a really good showing for a guy you got in round seven. Um, I almost thought about bumping him up a tier because I was like, that's impressive to me. Yeah. But uh, he's, he's one to watch yeah. for sure as far as like guys who have a long shot. You never know with goalies, but those numbers are freaking pretty hard to ignore. I know, I was like, and I think what impresses good. me is the VHL numbers on a losing team, you know, like that's, that's pretty rem- remarkable. So he's definitely one I've got my eye on and mm-hmm. it'll be interesting. Liga's like a real super, like a real league. So if he gets consistent starts for one of their teams and still does anywhere near that well, then I'm definitely going to be moving him up and, and considering him pretty highly. 
Yeah, it'll be interesting. I, I, I'm glad that we have kind of that wild card goalie mm-hmm. there for us. Uh, also, he's a Russian, and Russian goalies are born to be mega successes. That's right. So. Wasn't he's one the of next Vasilevsky. Wasn't one of Shosturkin or Soror- Sorokin like not drafted all that high? Yeah, I think so. I think Shist- one of them was like mid round at very least. Shosturkin was 118th overall. And let oh. me look at uh, Sorokin. My God, who do these, where do these people play again? Shesterkin is uh, the Rangers. Okay. Sorokin is the Capitals. Oh. Okay. And no, Sorokin is the Islanders, and Sam Sonoff is the Capitals. Oh no. Sorokin was seventy eighth overall. Uh, and if it had, if it helps you feel any better, their first names are Igor, Ilya, and Ilya. So, no! <laughs> oh, and Samsonov was twenty tw- uh, second overall. Are we sure they're not triplets? No, okay. <laughs> they probably are. At least Andre Vasilevsky is like a whole different name, you right? know. That helps. That does help, and also he's like the best one. Yeah. Um, Noah Beck next, our right-handed defenseman. <laughs> I thought you were just like, Noah Beck next, Tanner Dickens. <laughs> I mean, pretty much. That's what I was going to say. Drafted in 2020, round 7, uh, 194th. Played for Fargo. Played for the Fargo Force of the USHL uh, two years ago. Then last year played for Clarkson University of the NCAA. 20 games, only two points. I don't know anything about this guy. Noah Beck is a loser baby so why don't you count <laughs> i'm just kidding your last name's a vec we do the yeah, same yeah, thing yeah. with robert thomas you'll never know because you're not going to make the nhl but we do we promise we would do that if you made it yeah uh, i would i do not expect noah Beck to ever become an e-pro or any other kind of pro, so <laughs> see it wasn't just explicit. yeah there we go there you go i know two Beck songs and i just referenced both of them so what about the other one? Somebody on here is like uh, somebody out there is like really pissed. Oh, They're like, you only Beck know stand. two I know Beck Dr- songs. I know dreams. You trash bag human being. That's true. That crappy song that was out like a couple years ago. <laughs> In your dream, yeah, it's real. Oh I, yeah, I don't. I'm not a Beck fan. Yeah, no. Uh, Tanner Dickinson. I mean, losers a bop at times. Oh yeah, no, it's great, but it's like the only one. Can I interrupt here real quick? Just real quick, because this is our new muffin. And here's why. Oh, no. Scott Wheeler said this is a one sentence about him from the Traverse City Prospect Tournament and said his pitchfork skating stride slows him down out there. So the the reason I meant that we have a new muffin is just like with, was it Noah Dobson was his name? No. I th- or no, I Noah Dobson. A real hockey player. His name was Real Bland. Um. <sighs> It'll come to me, but whoever it was, D- David Noel, yes. uh, had that was like said about him the first, like his first practice ever, pretty much was like his shots of muffin, and I don't even remember who said it. Um, but now Tanner Dickinson, I will just automatically associate pitchfork stride, which means I'll also associate it with the other guy, uh, Eugene Peterson, or whatever his <laughs> name is. So, Well, that's going to say it's weird because Tanner Dickinson... Dylan Peterson and Tanner Dickinson. And Tanner Dickinson's um, Elite Prospects NHL draft guide from last year, it says Dickinson's speed is his key Yeah, I know, asset, that was funny to me. And it can be useful with him without the puck. Didn't play a ton, but when he did, he used speed and extreme with extreme effectiveness. Explosive skating led to a few rushes and net drives, which caused problems for the Oshawa D. He only got offensive zone starts and played briefly on the second unit power play. 
Corey Promman also said in his pipeline article, he put Dickinson and has a chance to play and said, Dickinson is a skilled center with great vision, but his skating isn't ideal for the NHL level. It's so funny to me. Like, it's one thing if you if two guys look at the player and they basically see the same thing, but they emphasize different things. And so it's like one of them rates them highly. But it's funny to me that this guy is like one site says his skating's elite and that's his key asset. And the other two guys are like, his skating's trash. <laughs> the worst part. I'm like, man, you must be, are you like, is one of you comparing him to like the people immediately around him? And the <laughs> other one is like, no, what is it going to be like at the NHL? It is really interesting to me. And I mean, I guess that's just part of, part of it, right? When you draft later. Part in of it. When you draft in like rounds like three even after three you know four five six is like these guys are gonna have big holes but i kind of have a hard time believing that you're gonna draft (laughs) um, that you're gonna draft a guy whose thing he can't do is skating yeah you know where it's like oh but he's great in all these other areas but if only he could skate it's like yeah that's the like biggest part of hockey it's like the most fundamental part so you would think at very least you'd be like yeah, he's great at skating. Um, his shot sucks. And it's like, okay, we can work on that. Or, you know, his passing could use a lot of work. Okay, we can work on that. But, like, yeah, the dude can't skate very well. I'm like, he must be good in some other area to even be draftable. So it just it just seems like an odd, an odd take, an odd pick for that. Our, our final goalie, I think this is our final goalie on the list, Will Cranley, who was at Traverse City, uh, only 19 years old. Drafted last year in 2020, around six, number 163. I don't know where I get. Like last year, he played on the Utica Comets for a while after not playing for Ottawa 67. So, mm-hmm. is he the third goalie for Springfield, or is he just going to go back to junior? Yeah, how old really is know. he? It says he's 19. Then he'll, I assume, will go back to OHL, right? Because right. last year was weird. So I'm, I'm guessing then he'll go to the Ottawa 67s again. Um, Last year only had one game with the comments, but it seemed halfway decent. Uh, well, you know, we'll we'll wait and see. He was in the like you said, he was in the game against Dallas, right, where kind of got lit up. But it's only one game. He's still very young. Who knows? And then our final final player in tier five is Tyson Galloway, who was drafted this year in round five, number one hundred forty fifth overall. Will probably play for the Tyson Galloway. Yeah. Sign, sounds like a professional wrestler, which is interesting because he was drafted from the Calgary Hitmen. As I was say, yeah, he plays for the Calgary Hitmen, uh, the WHL. Played last year with them. Yeah, last year for seventeen games, four goals, five assists, nine points. His elite prospects draft guide from this year says the skating translates to rush defense where Galloway usually drives the puck carrier to the perimeter before pivoting and erasing them along the boards. Like erasing, <laughs> Jesus. And deleting them from life. <laughs> uh, lots of off-puck activation with some in-motion passes and give-and-go type plays. So cool. Uh, again, just drafted, and if you just got drafted and you're not from one of the top rounds, we just don't know that much about you. He's 6'4", though. He's a big boy. Big, big, big boy. boy. Meat on the burner. That's right. Uh, so are we plunging into Tier 6? Tier 6. This is where you bury the Pharaoh. Oh, I'm ready to bury him, baby. Um, this is, uh, you know, this is the meth players, and we're going to whip through them because they're pretty meth. Nolan Stevens is 25. This will be his last year on the list. Uh, he had 18 points in 27 games last year. 
he feels like a guy that is in that Dakota Joshua role where like maybe he could get a an emergency call up if there were enough injuries, but we've already got Dakota Joshua. So like, I just think his chances of, you know, he could be a career AHL guy and maybe play there uh, and contribute for a long time, but I don't think he's a, a future player. I don't know who Nathan Todd is. I believe he's the demon barber of Fleet Street. But... <laughs> he, was si- he was signed by us and he was in our in our prospect pool on one website. Well, so I was like, he had he 32 points in 36 games with the Manitoba Moose last year. He's also a center. He was a Springfield Thunderbird. He will be a Springfield Thunderbird where he will stay this year. Good for him. Tanner Kaspik has been a Blues prospect for 643 years and is still only 23, which is by far his most impressive accomplishment. He had five points in 20 games with the Utica Comets last year. Comets last year. He was drafted in 2016. He's like on the same name level as like Austin Boganski and yeah. Ranky and all these dudes. And like those on. guys, yeah. he's going to move on yeah. in the future. Yeah. Jeremy Michel was a 2019 Valdor four-year uh, draft pick, our seventh round. I believe Mr. Irrelevant. I believe the last pick of the draft. He is the only guy in this tier that I'm a little interested in. 42 points, I believe, in back-to-back years in the queue. 25 points in 36 games this Anyone year. Anyone can in the, score in the queue. That's right, including Justin's cat, yeah. Demetra. Is it Demetra or Pavel? It it's Demetra, right? Yeah. Hi, Demetra. I know you're listening and Justin's not. He's asleep. That's right. Uh, We might meet Justin this weekend. Whoa. That's wild. I'm not betting on it. No, I'm thinking it's a lie. Jeremy Michelle, anyway, nine points in 15 games in the playoffs last year. Don't think he's probably going to make the NHL, but of these guys, you know, the least offensive. (laughs) Uh, And then Ivan Vorobyov. This is a guy we drafted this year in the seventh round. Are you you pulling my leg? No, it's for real. I looked it up. I don't even remember talking about this guy. Uh, In 2020-21, he had uh, 50 points in 52 games with the MHL's Mamonte Ugri. And three, three points in four playoff games. And so far this season, five points in three games. So, you know, maybe, maybe... Maybe you watch Ivan Bjorn, that guy. Maybe Bjorn. Yeah. Uh, Mamonte Ugri. (laughs) I am all in on this team. Uh, Look at this logo, Ian. It's just a friggin' mammoth. Oh, I love that. Mamonte, I guess, is mammoth. I guess that's what it's... uh, I love it. Yeah, it's amazing. I'm all in on... I'm all in on Mamonte, baby. They are translated to the Ugra Mammoths. Where is Ugra? This will be in Siberia. This I want it to be in like northeastern Russia. Manisk is in central Russia. So sorry to disappoint. Uh, is it like a eastern Kazakhstan? central? Uh, yeah, more or less. Administrative center of the Kanti Mansi Autonomous in Okrug, Russia, uh, is located in the eastern bank of the Irtysh River. In oil-rich region of Western Siberia, so it sneaks oh, in there. Oh, nice. I know, I think we've talked about this before, but does it ever, like, blow your mind that people just live in Russia? Well, I'll drop a little Google guy there sometimes, and it's like everything is made of just gray concrete. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A little googly guy? Moscow would be interesting. St. Petersburg would be cool, but, like, I've that would be it, and I've... 
they're con- yeah, it's just a weird country. Like lots it's too of, big. I know I know objectively that there are six billion people in the world, but when I think of okay, they got plenty of snow in Vermont and you. Oh yeah. When I think of people just straight up living there, like their whole lives are Russian, and they don't even think it's weird. <laughs> that's <laughs> to them, what I'm, that's, that's, the, that's the regular For, stuff. To them, they're probably like, do you believe that people just live in the United States? Do you believe we can't just annex Ukraine? That's right. Like a bullshit. They're gonna though. Watch out, Ukraine. Uh, folks, that's the prospect pyramid. Let's run through it one more time, uh, and then we can go to sleep. Tier one, nobody. Tier two, I'm so sorry. Scott Perunovich. He might be a tier one. We might look back on ourselves and laugh for not acknowledging the skill, or we might say he's a tier five and a bust. <laughs> uh, Joel Hofer, Quim Costin, Jake Neighbors, Colt Nellis, and Zachary Bull Duke round out tier three. Tier four is our uh, tier four and tier five, as always, are our busiest. Nikita Alexandrov, Tyler Tucker, Matthew Kessel, Humaging, Matthias Laferriere, Keon Washcrack, Dylan, Dylan, Dylan <laughs> Peterson, and Simon Robertson in tier four. Dakota Joshua, Alexi Toropchenko, Leo Luf, Vadim Jurinko, Noah Back, Tanner Dickinson, Will Cranley, Tyson Galloway in tier five. Nolan Stevens, Nathan Todd, Tanner Kaspik, Jeremy Massell, and Ivan v- Vorobyov uh, in tier six. If I was ta- talking guys to highlight as potential movers uppers i would look at jake neighbors and zach bolduke as potentially moving to tier two um i think tier four is pretty set although simon robertson dylan peterson could potentially move and uh vadim jarenko as you pointed out a guy very much worth walking watching and who knows about ivan vorobyov i just know nothing about him but good for them for drafting him any final thoughts on the prospect pyramid or anything we've covered so far in this two hour and almost 15 minute episode uh, At this point, with the intro, it'll be like two fourteen for the people, yeah, and we'll have a long outro. Oh, we got to get to two and a half hours. Yeah. So it's be like, <laughs> strap in, folks. It's gonna be one of those long, um, progressive rock outros. Uh, you know what? Real quick, real quick. I did ask the people for questions. Oh yeah, let's hit them. Um, did we get any important? <laughs> We got some from the normal people, but uh, we we love you, normies. We love you. We got a couple questions for Ray Verrilli's Blue Gloves, KMW504. He tells us he's hoping for a seven-hour podcast. He's got the time to listen, and we've got the time to talk. We don't work for you, Ray. (laughs) You work for us. As a listener, uh, he said, as a longtime listener, I would like for you both to predict the amount of points that the boys will have at the end of regular season. My guess is 96. That is not a prospect pyramid question. That is a season preview question. My guess is 98. That's right. I believe higher than you do on the Blues. I, uh, I have no idea. I haven't I'd, looked at it yet. I'd say over 93. I'll take the over. I don't know how much over, but I'll take the over. And then he asked, just for fun, what's a statistic that's going to jump out at us at the end of the regular season? Justin Falk, 27 minutes per game. David Perron, one point per game. Jordan Bennington, 9.2 save percentage. What's your guess? That one we will save because I want to give it some thought and we can make bold predictions on our 
on Ooh, our yeah, season. Oh yeah, I want hot takes. Yeah, on our season uh, preview episode. But anything else you want to say about the prospect pyramid or the pipeline overall? Hot takes, cold gazpacho. <laughs> it's uh, got to be cold. Yeah, yeah. Because if you think it's going to be cold and it's like room temp, it's going to feel like your mouth is on fire. <laughs> feel like your whole body is burning. <laughs> um, no, I like I like the prospect pyramid. I feel more positively about it than I thought I was going to and looking at it and the, the blue should blue should suck so they get better prospects <laughs> that's so sad it's the one the one weird it's always the grass is greener right because yep. like when the blues are good then you just don't have as many great prospects in your pipeline and I'm jealous of teams like LA or Ottawa but I'm sure if I was like talking to an Ottawa fan or LA fan or whoever, they'd be like, what the fuck? Like, that's great. I'm glad we have these guys, but I'd like them to be here and for us to be good now. Um, which I always try and keep in mind. So I'm glad, glad we have what we got at the big leagues right now. But yeah, it's, it'll be interesting. I think there's players like you've said that are worth keeping an eye on as far as like moving up and down. And again, because we have our own AHL team, finally, Mm -hmm. um, that's an operation this year we'll actually have a team and to check in on and on players and stuff. I'm sure I'm sure people like Jeremy Rutherford and and so on will have reports from there too so we can actually be a little more in tune with some of these guys and see what we have to offer uh, at that level. So yeah, I'm I'm excited. I think to me this signals a lot not just the prospect pyramid, but looking at Twitter for this stuff and everything that there's a lot of hockey stuff going on again. Like Hockey's back. Yep. People are excited. The people are excited. You know, we're excited. The, the sponsors are excited. Please, if you want to, if you want to be sponsored, we'll let you be excited. Yeah. We'll, we'll sell your weird. We'll do anything. We'll sell your weird creams and ointments to rub on stuff. <laughs> but no more telling adult men that they're stars. No. no more. No, that's true. No more doing that. That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, Unless you're folks, a hockey player. That's uh, it's been a it's been a long, long, uh, long, uh, long, uh, long, uh, long episode, and uh, I've run out of words to speak. So we have given you two uh, almost two and a half hours. I gave you three hours with Let's Go Blues Radio. Go listen to that if you need more. If your insatiable appetite hasn't been fulfilled yet, it won't and be as crazy. That's right. As us. No, because we're they're the second best uh, blues podcast, and we're like fifth or sixth. I don't know. We're, I don't uh, know where we fall, but number one among house cats. Number of <laughs> among calico cats specifically. Calico cat pants. Dot com. <laughs> Go check it out. And uh, it's too late, folks. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye. Without this pyramid. Without this pyramid. Without this pyramid. Without this pyramid.